right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Sally here, joined by our guy, Kevin Van Valkenburg, KVV. Happy Sunday evening. How are you? Sally, thank you so much for having me on the pod tonight. Always a treat to talk about the Valspar and other assorted things. It is the two of us here tonight. Uh, We could not rally too many people to talk about Taylor Moore. Uh, We have an interview coming up shortly that we recorded yesterday, actually, with Billy Horschel. Uh, wanted to get a tour player's perspective on the distance rollback. We're going to try to separate all the distance stuff onto the back half of the pod. This episode is brought to you by our friends at FootJoy, the number one shoe in golf, the number one shoe on tour every year since 1945. That includes, of course, this week at the Valspar, where 64% of the players wore FootJoy shoes. One of the things we appreciate about FootJoy is the range of sizes and styles. A lot of us wear the Premier shoe, which is just a beautiful, timeless, modern, classic golf shoe, but they also create athletic shoes. The new Hyperflex is a rocket ship. I just put in so many orders for so many shoes. I got these shiny blue ones that, shoe up, that it showed up. I'm going to absolutely be stunting on people. I didn't know. I I don't know if I can pull this off, but we are going to be making an attempt for it. They're available for men and women. It's a sneaker inspired design. The Hyperflex I'm talking about now uh, that has an incredible amount of golf technology built into it to give you more power, comfort and control. And the Hyperflex outsole promotes stability and control exactly where you need it, giving you the absolute best platform to support the golf swing. And a foam midsole provides the perfect blend of cushioning to absorb shock and maximize energy that reduces foot fatigue. There's also a carbon version that includes a carbon fiber power plate integrated into the midfoot all things you don't like think about with your golf shoes they've already thought about it taken care of so you're going to look good and feel comfortable and they know golf shoes better than anyone that's why they've been around for 100 years that's why they've been the number one shoe on tour every year since 1945 and the official shoe for no laying up so check out the hyperflex at footjoy.com also editorializing this uh, this this whole part here as it comes to a Kushnet, Titleist, FootJoy, all of that. Uh, as the distance debate has come up, I want to give a, a, a shout out to them in terms of supporting us in uh, in having real and authentic conversations about that. And not, uh, you know, some people were surprised that at some of our takes that were, you know, maybe differing from the messaging that Titleist has sent out publicly in their press releases. But that was something that was obviously agreed on before we, we switched over to Titleist. And it was put to the test this past week. It'll be continually put to the test and they've held up their end of the bargain so I wanted to thank them for that and the listeners thank that as well because uh, it's a very 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 important thing to us so yeah if you're listening on the podcast I'm wearing a sick foot joy visor right now and uh, I'm gonna have some takes about this and stuff later so you know those things <laughs> are can, gonna go you can have both yeah. things you can have both the these visor things. is still sweet I love it <laughs> uh, look I feel bad doing this Kevin the story today is not Taylor Moore winning the Valspar is it <laughs> Uh, no, especially after his interview afterwards where he was basically a dial tone. I mean, what? <laughs> that dude couldn't give you anything. It's his first PGA Tour win, and he just was like, yeah, it was cool. It was pretty I mean, cool. Like, I, you know, not everybody's personality has to be, you know, like just fabulous and like scream out, you know, jump up and down. But wow. Like I was, I was really like, all right, I want to know something about Taylor Moore. And like one question later, 
I truly didn't know anything else about Taylor Moore. So I learned he does not have a Wikipedia page, which is kind of my cheat sheet for getting a, a, an idea of what a player's career has been like to this point. And, and he has one on the Corn Ferry Tour. He's one on the McKenzie Tour as well. He's had a relatively good season. He's approaching one up, you know, plus one strokes gained on the season so far, plus 0.86. I think he was coming into this week. That's really good player. That's, uh, you know, top 20 American player probably uh, to this point so far this season, which was kind of a little bit surprising to me. No outrageous results, nothing that's really been covered extensively on TV. Even today, not exactly covered extensively on television, I wouldn't say, because uh, they picked him up on the back nine pretty well, but he was not exactly on a lot of people. I don't blame him for this either. Not a lot not a lot of guys' radars, because it did not seem like Adam Shank wasn't going to be involved in this, that Spieth wasn't, that Fleetwood wasn't. He was, th- with four holes remaining, 3.8% win probability, which seems about right. Seems high, actually, because I did not see this coming down the stretch. Yeah, he, I mean, he hit some good shots, you know, making those birdies down late. He earned it in every sense of the word. Like, I even thought when he hit that bad drive on 18, I was like, oh, well, maybe he won't be, you know, in the mix. He's, he's not going to be able to make par from there, and he did just fine. So, I, look, like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, I didn't take a quick spin through Taylor Moore's, like, Twitter profile and, and was like, oh, okay, <laughs> obviously he's an interesting cat, not uh, not someone I think I would probably, like, be a super uh, tight with, but you know, look like great golfer, uh, you know, I I wouldn't have pulled for you had I known that stuff anyway. So like (laughs) you're, uh, you know, good for you. I hope you have tremendous success. I was, uh, I would like to see speed or shank, uh, win this one, but you know, that's why they play the sports, right? It's all you, you gotta get it done. It is true. He birdied the 12th hole, which was the sixth hardest today. He birdied the 15th hole, which was 12th hardest, but not a lot of birdies. There were only eight birdies total in that hole today, and he birdied 16, which was the second hardest and only only yielded six birdies. So back nine, 32, no bogeys. Hits it in the bunker on 17, which was the hardest hole. Gets it up and down easily, and even after driving it left, hits it on the front of the green, rolls all the way back to the front. That's a tough two-putt from down there. Nailed it. Got it done. Uh, passed all the tests that everyone else failed to pass, and he is now a PGA Tour uh, winner. Kind of weird, bizarre inter- uh, kind of scene when he's hugging his girlfriend afterwards, and is like, "Are, are you happy?" I was like, "Ah, that was a that was a that was a weird little little vibe out there." I don't I don't have any uh, relationship or don't know Taylor Moore at all. Did go to his Twitter profile, not to bring up the distance part of it, but his his most recent tweet is should should raise the goal to 11 feet in the NBA I'm tired of play, players getting better at their craft athletes training more efficiently and teams scoring 130 a night uh, as his understanding of the distance issue which I think we'll we can tackle later on is maybe maybe not uh, exactly the best analogy to use there but uh, yeah that's for a different different part of the show I will say some some on the ground reporting was pretty good from uh, Sean Zock uh, said that, you know, Taylor's family was kind of realizing like, hey, you're going to Augusta and that that was like a really cool moment for all of them. So, you know, that I think that's always a cool thing, right? Like you you get a win, you're going to be in the Masters for the first time, like your whole family's going to probably get to come that that was a pretty kind of neat. A revelation, I think, for them. And, for man, if you win a PGA Tour event this year, it does not matter which one it is, I don't think. If you play decent golf and win a PGA Tour event, you're going to be playing in all the designated events next year. You're going to be finishing in the top 50. Uh, you're going to be playing the BMW Championship this year, and you are going to be in all the designated events and playing for $20 million. In, in, that's You play for $160 million in the eight designated events right there. So they the wins are even more valuable uh, this year, which is still kind of an underreported, undercovered storyline in the new structure of things. Dude, I find myself checking the top 50 every week. I've never checked the FedEx Cup standings as much as I have since they came out with, I, I'm sick to my stomach saying that. We've done nothing but make fun of the standings for, for how many years. All of a years. sudden, the 
standings are super relevant. It got of kind all of these years, we finally figured out a way to make them really relevant. It got kind of interesting, right? I mean, Adam Shank, uh, Jordan Spieth missed a four-foot par putt on the last hole that gave Adam Shank 55 more points. I've never looked up the exchange of points uh, on a putt. I've always looked up the money at, on the 18th hole, but I've never looked up the exchange of points until this one. Adam Shank's 31st now in the FedEx Cup and has a chance to get into that top 50 with some more good golf. It's a, a, a very fun storyline that is brewing for, for this year that I'm looking forward to following. You mentioned that uh, Taylor Moore will be in all those designated events. Will Jordan Spieth be in the designated events? Next a lot year? of golf left. A lot of golf left. He's 38th now. He's inside the top okay. 50. He's inside good, the good. cut okay. line. Uh, and even if he's close, I have a feeling he's going to be able to get some sponsor exemption. So <laughs> while I don't feel the same sweat, I do. I think that's interesting. I would I would think it's interesting to see if he automatically qualifies for that. And there is a lot of golf left. And then our guy is playing some golf, right? It looks really unstable. But, man, he has been a... I don't know. I, I'd like to see an updated um, uh, updated numbers before I say this. But he's playing like... Plus two golf recently, which is, you know, top 10 player in the world. Uh, so far, basically, since since Phoenix, he has been a very, very, very good golfer. It hasn't looked great at times, but this is uh, he had a T6 at the Phoenix. He had a T4 at Arnold Palmer, T19 at the players. He missed the cut at Genesis, but uh, now a, a, a T3 here with a really good chance to win. And uh, I'm, I'm leaving this one the most encouraged, I think. It's still not, obviously, not there completely. As he st- stands up over a shot on 16, did not look comfortable at any point and looks away, a pre-apex look away as that ball splashed into the middle of the pond was just the perfect Jordan Spieth experience today. That was like, it reminded me a little bit of the Burkdale hole where he like, his head was on his hands. like The his surrender hands cobra. Before, yeah, surrender cobra before the ball had like even reached its apex. Like, 100% same. Like, this was like more resigned. Like, yep, that's fucked. Like, I, I'm <laughs> going to go over here and grab another uh, Pro V1. But, uh, man, like, what a what a bad swing in that moment. And what an unbelievable bogey. I will say, dude, he, the a takeaway I had, though, was how locked in he was for that entire process of his third shot. After taking the drop, there was no defeated attitude. It was like, dude, I'm making five out of this, and we're going to birdie one of the last two, and we're getting them playoff. Like, it was alpha Spieth, and he steps up, makes an incredible bogey, steps up on 17, and absolutely stripes a four iron inside seven feet. I think there was two birdies there all day on the 17th hole, and I said this on Twitter. I was like, Whatever like Spieth is supposed to do, he's not going to do. Like he obviously should not have hit that ball in the water on 16. Like that was a out of character, hor- horrific shot. Um, and then from there, he was not supposed to make bogey, so of course he did. And he's not supposed to step up and stuff the shot on 17, so of course he did. And he's not supposed to miss that putt, and of course he did. And that part was really disappointing. But it was fun to do the Spieth roller coaster ride yet again. For sure, I feel like at this moment, Sally, that he is. And maybe your data to golf nerdiness could kind of correct this, but he's he's a top ten iron player in the world. And then when he gets to the green, he's either a top ten putter in the world or a top hundred and fifty putter in the world. Like there's really no in between. Like there's no like, oh yeah, like I'm I'm pretty confident he's gonna be able to lag this one down. Like it's just a white knuckled like, oh man, like he's either like stepping up and putting this one in the throat, or he's gonna leave this six feet short and we're gonna have to do this all over again and two minutes and that one has no guarantee it's going in uh, he knocked it on the first green like just on the, barely on the fringe had an eagle putt on the first green i was like i in my head so like, this is three or five he's not only thing he's not doing is making four that, that's the only the absolute only thing that's going to happen i don't know i know this golf doesn't work this way but in my speed fandom head i'm like eh, let's not waste the shot completely right now there's a bigger one here coming up in a few weeks 
and I'd rather see it all come together right then, and I want to see you sniffing around. When he won Valero two years ago, the week before the Masters, I was like, that's too perfect. That's that's just not the right timing. I, I Something I want to talk about, too. This is, is clearly, it's, it's a lot clearer now that this is a very different event than the previous two weeks. This is not the players. This is not Bay Hill. Like, it is a different talent pool. It's a different golf tournament. It would mean less if he won this versus a designated event. It really would. So... In, in that regard, it's like if he, even if he would have won, I would not have gotten too hard on the hype train right now. Like in my spirit, will I believe until I die? Of course, but my head is still telling me like, not all the way there. It's still not all the way there. But I'm, I'm, I'm. I guess I'm kind of justifying that or rationalizing it with we don't want it to be all the way there just yet. We need the hot putter to hit at Augusta. He's said a bunch of times like needs to get reps in under pressure and that like the every even the misses under pressure like sort of help get the feeling up. So like. You know, the swimmers always talk about like tapering, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, kind of be oh, I'm like 80% going into trials and then I'm going to be at 90% like going into, you know, the next, like the first day of the Olympics, I'm going to be at 100% right when my event comes around. I want to believe that Jordan Spieth is tapering. <laughs> like if he puts just okay at Augusta, I think he'll have a legit chance because like he just sees that place so much better than so many other people. He's such a like creative iron player. You see it every time like he's, you know, wildly out of position. He's like, all right, here's what I need to do. I'm going to turn on my analytical painter mind and I'm going to thread this ball through these trees and I'm going to not miss it here and I'm going to put this in a spot. And, oh, yeah, I made a birdie. Cool. That's, that's, that's awesome. Well, it's it's worth noting he was 10th in putting this week, right? So the putting is not like a problem that it was on the West Coast. He was very, he was not putting very well on the West Coast. This was, he drove it actually really, really good this week until 16 really, really hurt him. I mean, that's just the absolute death blow, almost a two-shot penalty hitting in that in the water. So some of his parts is there. It was, you know, 7th tee to green and 10th in putting. It's just going to be a good week no matter what you do and anything else. And so uh, the sum of the parts is there. The swing looks good. I'm not a swing. I don't know what I'm talking about with the swing, but I love this one way better than the laid off look. And he seems confident in where the club is going. And he seems like he's on offense and he's not out there trying to figure out what's going on. It's kind of he's, he's figuring out how to be competitive again in these in these moments is what it feels like to me. So I feel way more confident when he's standing over the ball with driver too. like uh, that swing. You know, I, that was a three wood that he hit in the water, but like, you know, not with like it's just so much different. It feels so much like more in control. Like, you know, I just don't know why exactly but he just feels more in balance like he's not trying to sort of and he's hitting it really far too like amazing is sort of obsessed with like this added speed that he's allegedly had like jordan's was never really short but you know he's just a sort of slowly adding a little bit more speed where he can hit it down there like a little, you know in the top 25 of the probably on tour almost so you you said you feel like he's a top 10 iron player right now i've got him his 50 round moving average is right at the top 25 benchmark so, okay. uh, so and little, not quite what I thought, but you know, 20, 25 round is right around that as well. So, but that's the eye test for me says yeah, the eye. Okay. The eye test. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. We can run with that. I need to have, and make sure the eye test is represented properly on this podcast <laughs> this evening. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're doing that in, uh, in memory of big Randy, who I promise will be back on this podcast. Uh, he's, he's been focusing more on the LPGA pods, uh, to this point, And I, I promise he will be back to to bring some to bring some levity, some much needed levity at times to this show. But Adam Shank, man, I I have no emotional feelings towards him at all. But 
when you go on like a little a journey with someone for like 36 holes over the course of a weekend and you watch them lose it on the last hole and make bogey in the last holes, God, I was feeling for them. Man, I did not enjoy that part of it. I was, I guess, a little more emotionally invested because I felt like I watched Shank stare down Jordan Spieth over the course of two days, basically. To, for Taylor Moore to kind of come up and steal it was just not what I was rooting for today. For sure. That look of when he came up to his ball, oh. saw it like in the nook of the tree and put his hands on his knees like... That was such an honest, like, human moment. If you talk about, like, why the PGA Store Tour, though flawed in as, as a product, still works for me for the most part, like, there's a great example, right, of, of that. Of, like, I've, over the course of two hours, whatever, and I'm really sort of focused in, and my wife is sitting with me watching, I'm learning about, like, Adam Shank proposing to his wife and how, like, he grew up on a sod farm and she grew up on a pig farm, and they sort of, you know, had this you know, farming love story. And I was like, oh God, I actually think that Adam Shank would be a great story here. Spieth doesn't really need this win. Yeah. And then when that happened, I was just like, oh man, like Spieth will win again. Like I'm confident of that, but like this might've been his shot. This, this, that makes me ache for him that this one bad swing ends up by a friggin' tree and he's got to, you know, pull a left-handed shot out of it to just give himself a chance. Which is so sick. 72nd hole trying to win your first PGA Tour event. Like a ball up against you. Yeah, flip around and hit it left-handed. And I, mm. I give him credit. He backed this he caddy a good off. Shot. He hit a really good shot. He backed this caddy off, so I'd rather take a risk. And I think it was the right call. I really do. I think, like, we're, I mean, if he dead shanks it off a tree and he ends up in prison anyways, like, the drop was going to be in prison and really unlikely for it to get up and down, right? He created at least some value out of that shot. It went... It was too good. It went too far into the rough. Uh, and, man, he gave that par putt a run. There was no plan for second place and whatever that, that paycheck was and that those points were. So um, God, and if that putt hits the pin, like it, I think it goes in. But it just because it just missed the pin. I don't think that putt was, that putt was going in. I think it was going in if it no. hits the pin. I just – I mean, it was going hot. Maybe <laughs> view it differently. Like you're obviously – much better player than I, but I think if it hits the pin dead on, it just it drops right in there. And because it just misses the pin, it it lips hard out of the. This is going to be an announcer thing forever. If you take the pin out and it hits the back of the hole and goes too far, they're going to say, "Oh, it would have gone in with the pin done. in." And if it hits the pin and, and bounces out, they're going to say, oh, "I guarantee that would have gone in if the pin was out." Uh, I, I just keep an eye on that one. That, I want to see if, if some of these announcers stay consistent on that because I still don't know what the right answer is. Hey, the, the data boys, don't send me the videos on Twitter again. I don't need to see any of those because everyone has a different opinion on what it's going to do. But, uh, yeah, I, I that was just crammed. He he did not even have a look on his face like he thought that was going to go in. I mean, he was just like, he looked defeated the whole way as, as it was rolling up. But it, I, I had flashbacks to Max, like, hitting that chip that uh, basically, like, just missed, just slipped out in the hole at Riv. You know, it was like, oh, you got to – basically, you got to do this. That's, that shows you, like, how when PGA Tour players – have to do something they can kind of like really put it right at the hole yeah. and you know the, the speed is the impossible thing to control in that moment but like they're skilled enough to be like all right like we're going th we're going to take the break out of it and then we're going to go right at the hole it's uh one of my favorite putting drills um or not even putting like images it is i'll try to imagine that there's two t's like three inches uh, a t like three inches left of the hole and a t three inches right of the hole right and if i can visual if i can get the ball to roll through those two t's I have made a, 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 that's a good chance that it'll go in or a good chance that it'll hit the hole. And if I visualize putts like that, you can send it at the hole way better. That's a good drill to do. Like, I don't care about my speed right now, but I'm going to hit as many putts through these two tees as I can. And you can learn how putts break and how you can trust vision and stuff. Like, that's what, it just seemed like he was like, dude, I don't care what happens. This ball is going to hit the hole. Like, <laughs> whatever happens after that is God's will, but this ball is going to hit the hole. So, yeah. Well, I hope for his sake he gets back in that position because, uh, 
they definitely like kind of earned a fan for me and this how he sort of handled that moment and look like if that left-handed shot you know hits in the rough once and then goes right in the fairway like there's the probably i don't know 40 percent chance he can get that up and down and get in the playoff like that's pretty good you know he probably took it down to 25 percent chance when he hit it over the rough over there but still he gave himself a chance which is all he was kind of wanting at that moment fleetwood fleetwood tommy lad um, Tough. I'll start it with saying extremely starting to be very encouraged with how he's playing. He's playing some very good golf. I guess my 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 beef with TC has been on this that he's ridden him really hard while he's not been playing good golf, uh, and he's not been the the ball striker and the player that he was at his peak. And I'm we're waiting for signs of that, and I feel like we're seeing signs of that. Separating that out, it uh, we've seen this movie from him too many times. This is 112 PGA Tour starts without a victory. And I know he's got six DP world titles. I know some of them are BDEs, but man, that is a lot of starts uh, without garnering a a tour win. And again, we've been a little hard on him just because the golf has not been good along the way. It's not been a really a female situation of being close and not getting there. Now it's starting to be sniffing around, but just a backbreaking bogey on 14 par five hits a hits approach in the backside of a bunker and leaves it in the bunker. He was he was basically screwed out of that and makes a, a bogey on a hole that he had no business making a bogey on and uh, finishes two shots out. Just a bummer. Is, is Fleetwood like the working-class Monty? Like a dude who's like just an unbelievable iron player, like played really well in Europe, was in the mix at a bunch of majors, uh, obviously little different personalities. Like Tommy's much more kind of easy to love and Monty's Monty. But, <laughs> man, like, I, you know, I – I feel bad for like saying that because, you know, Monty sort of was probably unfairly dogged by his lack of success in the States. And it makes me feel kind of like azing or jingoistic sort of, you know, Oh, I can't handle the pressure, but like <laughs> went on that, I don't tour. know, like not on that tour. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you got to kind of eventually like, I think it's a compliment to... first of all, because Monty yeah. was freaking baller, like absolute totally. baller. And Mo- I mean, Monty's a better player than Fleetwood with their career. Yes. Uh, Monty was, Monty should have won, a couple majors, probably with a, a couple different breaks, but uh, you know, I mean, Elkis make that bomb, whatever at Riviera. Like you never know if he wins or you know the other. He was in the playoff with Els and and Oakmont. I mean, Monty had a lot of chances that Tommy has not really had uh, the same kind of chances in majors or given himself those. But I don't know, man. Just that's why I said like working class. Like just I, I we want it to happen for him, but just doesn't putt well enough in sort of the big moments. Like he, you know. Just doesn't sort of seem to rise to it. I, I don't know what the sort of thing holding him back would be. Uh, it, it seemed like a little bit more confident lad, if you will, over the last couple of weeks. It seems like maybe turning a corner, but I want to see him get back to a sustained level of, of you know, beating the field much more consistently, right? Because if, if I'm looking at his results, the last 25 starts, he had T27, T61, T20 the last three weeks, and it felt like, you know, it felt like he played better than that, right? He, it felt like he was actually in the mix and, Maybe it's just because TC's been peacocking around about this. But uh, TC's on vacation right now, so he's not able to be on this pod. The only thing we've heard from him on Slack all week, he's he's totally unsubscribed from Slack. He signs on at 4.30 today. He had a bet on 80 Nuggets on on Fleetwood to win and 20 Nuggets on Speed to win, and they were tied for the lead. And he comes in and just says, Gentlemen! Doesn't say another word, and it was bones thrown at both of those dudes. Fleetwood immediately made a bogey after that, and Spieth went uh, ape shit on, on the wrong, going the wrong way after that, and it was just too perfect. So he the, should apologize to both of them, frankly, yes. for bringing into the slack the the bad juju at that moment. Yeah, Innisbrook 
it works, and I can't really tell you why. It's a it's a good PGA Tour course. I don't. It doesn't like fit my eye. Like the greens look too small, and it just kind of plays funky. But I I I like the shot value it creates. It kind of I don't want to say it's so bad. It's good. It's that's not the case. But it uh, it works for me kind of in the same way that Harbor Town works for me. What's your reaction to to watching Innisbrook? I feel the same. Like I, there's something about it that I'm like, ah, oh, cool. Like this is. I'm not totally bored by this. Uh, <laughs> People were kind of getting on me. What a threshold to clear. Yeah. <laughs> the people were getting on me when I was saying that, that Bay Hill was kind of, <laughs> kind of a stinky course. And I, I was uh, mentioning in our Slack, I think I like the Copperhead course better than uh, Bay Hill. I'm laughing uh, because know? if you're a detractor of ours, like it just sounds like such hard work to ride for the PGA Tour. Like I'm not totally bored by this. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like... Look, could you could you make this course better with some like m- a little bit more interesting green complexes? I think you could, uh, but it does force guys to hit some kind of big dick shots down the stretch, and I think uh, that's cool. It's not. I don't feel like the housing stuff is like you know on top of you uh, here. It's just all of it feels you know like a decent uh, course where you would play there and not feel like annoyed by it, not but not be super memorable in it. I mean, I you know. Some of the way the holes like snake back and forth, I think, is a little gimmicky. Yeah, a little, a little silly, and and you know, stop trying to make snake pit happen. Like, uh, <laughs> it's you know, not happening. The, all in all, like you know, I think it's like, like I would say it's in the for sure the top half of the PGA Tour courses for me. So I'd I don't say, want to seem like I'm complaining about every single no I'd PGA say, Tour course. Yeah, this one I think is, is fine. Slightly above average, I think, like mm-hmm. better than PGA National, like some PGA National like tendencies, if you will, and some of those holes down the stretch. But uh, more fun to watch. They they have incredible condition with it. I mean, I know it kind of looked a little brown and crispy on there. I'm I'm in on that. I think that makes for any you know we do not need to be obsessed with golf courses being green. We've covered that extensively, and their willingness to kind of let it look scruffy yet play. I feel like when you watch this golf course, you know exactly what's at stake. I, I feel like I watch guys leaning harder on drivers in terms of like making sure they're in the fairway, which again, we can talk about distance on the back half. I feel like that's what a lot of people want. They want people to feel like there is a punishment for missing fairways. And when I see the players be that tied to the result of it staying in the fairway, I feel like that has its desired effect. So I feel like for whatever reason, the trees aren't so like suffocating too that when the guys would hit it in the trees, there was ways for them to sort of find windows where you could yeah. sort of like take a chance, you know, and if you didn't pull it off, like you were screwed, but it wasn't like an auto, like pitch into the, you know, middle of the fairway. It was like, all right, here's a, a 50, 50 ball that you could either pitch out and lay up, or you could kind of go for this. And, you know, I mean, it was just, I was, how many often do you get to see like speed hit driver off the deck Sweet. Uh, on Saturday, know, yeah. and take what's an insane line. And then he gets up there and he's like, Oh, I was totally not the line. I was like thinking, <laughs> it, I mean, that was kind of a cool moment on Saturday. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of Chapultepec in that regard yeah. of some weird, it's maybe a little too narrow. The trees are kind of encroaching on the lines of play, but these guys just kind of find a way to figure it out. And that's kind of what the test is. And again, I feel like I can enjoy this tournament more with the full acceptance that it's just in a different bracket, right? I mean, it's a different, it's a, it's a standard event. It's a non-designated event. And just like saying that out loud allows me to, to understand that like, it's not the most consequential tournament. And I feel like I enjoy that a little bit more rather than thinking like, why is this, why is there a tournament this week? I don't want to watch these guys play it. It just, uh, I really do think that could be a, uh, a, 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 maybe an unintended effect of this kind of new model. So 
Totally. And you see, like, what we keep talking about, like, oh, well, these non-designated events get, you know, devastated by the lack of top 50 players. All you really need in these kind of lower tier events is one sort of speed to be like the main storyline to bring in the sort of casual viewer. And then the rest of it sort of takes shape from there. Like we know Jordan Spieth's story, but because we know Jordan Spieth, we don't have to spend a lot of time like talking about him. We can learn a little bit about Adam Shank. You know, in theory, if Taylor Moore had been more involved early on, we could have learned more about him. It just seemed like a great, like if I were planning out uh, my schedules and stuff, and I, you know, I guess in theory, if I could sort of say to, you know, one star, everyone, hey, look, can you take one for the team, Sky Scheffler, and play in the 3M this year? Hey, Jordan, can you play in the Valspar? Hey, Justin, can you play in, you know, whatever? Like, it, look, do they always win? Obviously not, but, like, they're probably good enough against the sort of talent around the field that they're going to be in the mix, and that's all you really need to make the tournament sort of interesting, right? 100%. 100%. And Spieth hadn't played here in, in a, quite a few years, I think. JT always shows up for this one, which, again, is four in a row for uh, – it's going to be four in a row for these guys with Bay Hill players rolling right into match play. So, um, mm -hmm. it's a, it, you know, only and then only one week off and then right into the Masters. It's a, it's a lot of golf for this time of year. I'm not quite sure I understand the reasoning for it, but I guess it, it feels like a no-skip, you know, section for one of them. Maybe they – just sort of feel like they're they're better off playing, and match play doesn't really give them the same sort of uh, prep that they want for the, the Masters, and so they're going to just take some reps at, at where it's available. A lot of guys like these this golf course and just how the tournaments run. I mean, it, it surprises me kind of every year the, the field that they're uh, that they're able to pull. So uh, Matt Wallace absolutely laying into his caddy on eighteen on Saturday was a great highlight for me. He hits it onto the cart path. Uh, and I believe we found out afterwards that he was upset that his caddy was maybe like asking him if he wanted to take a drop from the cart path. Uh, it just shows them getting into it in the 18th fairway. And the only thing you can make out is Wallace saying, shut the fuck up uh, directly to his caddy, which I believe I got a lot of messages after that of like, yep, notorious for this. This is a Matt Wallace thing. This is totally a thing that happens. Uh, he tried to kind of play it off afterwards and they hugged, they showed him hugging it out. But good on NBC. They got, they dug in on that. They did not let that moment like briefly slide by. And I greatly enjoyed that. They didn't like cover it up. I kind of figured they would just not go back to it. Uh, and they would be like, well, you know, what a great round from Matt Wallace. But, man, I don't know why they kept re re uh, reminding us that it was he has the only French caddy on tour. Like, they expected yeah. him to surrender or something. Yeah. Like, hey, the Frenchman stood strong. Yeah. All right? He, she made France proud. <laughs> they, they did say that. Like, like it was one of the country's great accomplishments. Like, they, they've tried and tried and tried for so long. They've had such a great caddy program in France, France and they finally got a French caddy onto the PGA Tour. Few guys, I, I noted this just uh, you know several guys drafting off some good play at the players, but kind of some you know some guys kind of faded on on uh, on Sunday. Chad Ramey was involved, David Lingworth was involved there, but uh, had a tough Sunday as well to kind of cost Zach a little Blair. Bit, but Zach Sorry. Blair, how about, how about our boy Zach. Zach Blair I mean, finishes uh, in a tie for tenth with three bogeys in his last six holes. He got it all the way to six under par. Uh, he bogeyed the difficult 13th and then bogeyed 16 and 18, unfortunately. But uh, fantastic week uh, for Zach and uh, did, it, did it in all aspects, but mostly with his putter. So it's great to see him. Just opened his golf course, the tree farm uh, in South Carolina in Aiken and is back and being competitive again on the PGA Tour. It is uh, That's good news all around. He's certainly the only guy who's opened a course this week who also finished top 10 on a, some sort of tour. I surprised that didn't get a mention on the telecast yeah. as well. Um, that's pretty pretty decent-sized story that's gone on in the world of golf. But uh, he's got some work to do. He's 117 now in the FedEx Cup, so still got a lot of work to do. But... Um, he tied with Justin Thomas this week. Uh, again, a T10 finish for JT, but he's 60th 
on the FedEx Cup. Still on the outside looking in uh, for that top 50, but I will say there is a lot of golf to be What's played. going on with the putter, if we can just hang on a sec with JT? Like, the putter is just not good. Uh, I know you had some stats earlier this week, just like from seven feet, from five feet. Like, he is just a struggle bus. Like, it's I don't know what it is. Maybe it's an alignment thing. I mean, it certainly, like, I know he tried a new putter at the beginning of the season just to sort of give himself a different look or whatever. But, man, I, it feels like a lot of it is just all putting related at this point. Can I uh, stand up for myself and that maybe when I was fighting him on some reads at the in the Kapalua video, Ooh. that maybe, maybe I need to no, no, come on. <laughs> I mean, he's 144th in strokes game putting so far this year. And if you go and look at, you know, it just feels like he's just not holding putts from close range. And if you go scroll down through his, you know, putting page, you'll see he's 160th from three feet, 178th from four feet, 91st from four to eight feet, 172nd from five feet, uh, 67th from six feet, 65th from seven, uh, seven feet, 73rd from eight feet. Um, and, you know, inside 10 feet, he is 140th on tour, and that's just really difficult to be competitive. To It's not difficult to be competitive. You can Hideki your way in, in through a lot of tournaments by doing that, but if you want to win these things, it's almost always the putter that has to get hot for you to come close to winning them or to win a tournament, and that's just not happening for him right now. He's probably never going to be like a top 50 putter in the world. That's just He would have done that now if he was going to do it. But like, if he was the seventy fifth putter, best putter in the world, right? Like at this moment, he'd probably be in contention in almost every because he's you know such a good ball striker, such a just a generally good short game player. I mean, I think I was looking at his short game stats were really good this year. Like, he's he's just got to figure out something that can make it work. And I don't I don't want to see him like go to the arm lock or go to a different you know longer putter or anything like that. But I mean. Got to figure out some sort of feel that can just release the ball at the hole. I mean, he was the data golf number one player in the world as of this week last year, right? I mean, it, and now he's 12th, right? Which is obviously still an incredibly, uh, you know, it's still obviously still an incredible player. We can talk about Bryson's fall from being in that top five two years ago to now, but it's not a, you know, an outrageous fall. It's a little bit reverting, reverting back to the mean, but it's it's been a fall. It's been a, a downward trend for him that is, I don't want to say concerning. It's just, you know, it's not all happening for JT right now. But um, it's, it's again, it's not alarm bells. He's still making cuts and being relatively competitive. It just, like, doesn't seem all that close as we head into a major championship that he uh, masters, which he has not been overly competitive at, but feels like should be a great fit for him overall as a shot maker. So, And we'll get to his comments on distance here on the back half of this. But walk and talks are getting better. Amsterdam for NBC. Um, those seem to be getting better, asking, you know, more detailed questions about how they're playing the hole and things like that. Uh, the two commercial breaks sandwiching um, Adam Schenk's 18th hole was impressive. I'm not even mad. I was just like, holy shit, how did they get? They got four commercials around that shot. Uh, it was one of the more impressive efforts uh, I've seen. So um, I actually think we should turn around and start celebrating how often they're able to jam in commercials in the finale. It's like <laughs> we're it's, flipping the script here and we're just, oh, it's funnier like, that way. It's less like, job, yeah, man. I don't like pull my hair out. You know, I'm just kind of like, Oh, sh okay. You don't give even a little bit of a shit about creating the drama around this. You just yeah. want, you know, want to profit off of it in the short term. That's you, I wonder how that's going to work you, out for you. So did you catch the fake playing through uh Puma ad? Get uh, fucked. That, I don't know what, like that irrationally pissed me off. Get I was fucked. like, all right, you've created this whole playing through thing, like as an attempt to sort of placate our anger. And now like as a company, someone is trying to sort of take advantage of this and make it sort of a cute comment on that. 
fuck you. Like that is not, I will not buy your product if you do that. <laughs> oh, it's such a tough scene. It really is. Anything else from Valspar or should we get to the main event uh, of the weekend? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, you know, in honor of TC, I'll, I'll just go look down the leaderboard real quick and uh, nothing really uh, stands out too much. I mean, a Jason Duffner sighting, uh, T36, that makes me happy. You know, he's been in the wilderness for a while and uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not gonna, that's, that was my extent of going down the leaderboard. <laughs> Uh, Danny Lee, meaningful, meaningful win out in the desert in Tucson, live Tucson. Um, I, I can't, I can't fake it. I can't pretend to, to, to break. He was howling at the sky in <laughs> Tucson, Sully. What an iron heads. All uh, I got to say, what the, what are the cliques doing, man? They got to get their shit together. What a bounce back for the iron heads. All right. I will say I think the cliques, I think the cliques should be relegated to the Asian tour. Frankly, like, I, what are we doing here? I didn't they, see they should have to go play in Taiwan and and Singapore and all these places. They passed the Majestics. I did not even catch that. The Majestics actually finished dead last. The cliques were way down there, but the Majestics. Okay. Uh, why do the Majestics have three captains? I do not understand that. Three so fourths of their captains, team is the captain. Do you have any captains? I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I do find myself as silly as I think this whole thing is, especially the individual side. I find myself checking the team leaderboard. I find myself intrigued by the week-to-week developments of that. I think that's kind of the only thing they've got going in my in my mind in terms of like week-to-week interest is, um, you know, the same way I do with Formula One of seeing how the middle-of-the-pack middle, middle of the pack teams are kind of developing against each other. Uh, the fireballs win. The four aces have not lodged a win here in the first two, uh, two weeks, which everyone's been talking about what's going on with the four aces. Everyone I go, yeah. But they the Ironheads. What's, what's up with the four aces? A podium finish for the Ironheads when they were the laughingstock of everything last year was like, oh, shit. That, that, that's like, again, I follow my gut on what's interesting about this thing, and that's the only thing that's really working for me. Because I think, like, honestly, I will, we get some shit about bagging on live all the time. I do kind of dig the like everyone's hanging around the 18th green and like that they're all teams are bundled up together. There might be some like people's pets running around, their children are there, like, you know, Troy and Sue Ann are like interviewing people randomly. I, Phil's like doing Instagram live. Like some of that is kind of funny. Like I, it doesn't strike me as particularly a serious athletic competition, but I could foresee like in a different timeline of our lives had the PGA Tour sort of reframed, like, all right, we're going to have team competition on the non-sort of, like, big events. And you have, like, JT and Jordan, like, sitting there, and they're, like, really into the idea of, you know, Ricky, like, making this putt because it's going to help their team win. Like, some of that might have been cool. And, For sure. you know, if Liv hadn't taken, like, all of the most miserable malcontents uh, to, to do it with, like, it could have could have been a workable idea, you know? Well, again, this is coming from an organization that demands that you take it extremely seriously, and it is some of the best golf played anywhere, anywhere, and that they deserve points for this, and it's a very serious competition, and they're also, like, suing the PGA Tour is where it gets, like, yeah, you're not going to be afforded that goodwill. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. It is obviously not serious golf. It's an incredible amount of money being thrown around, but, like, there's just music blaring as there's a playoff going on for $4 million on the 18th hole. Uh, Phil is walking down the fairway, which is great. Like they're getting Phil on the mic. Like the PGA tour should be doing a lot of these things. They should be bringing players on in for interviews to talk about other players while it's going on. Uh, Phil said that over the last five years, Brendan Steele is the third best driver in the world behind Rom and Rory. Uh, is I'll, that true? There's I'm going to no res- way. That's true. I'm going to respectfully disagree on that one. I, <laughs> 
appreciated the comment, but it's like, oh, okay. Like, oh yeah, we're just like making shit up over here. This is kind of fun. Um, <laughs> sorry to hear about the ratings I, on Saturday. Um, yeah, we, we did get a, a little bird was able to, to get us some uh, information, uh, about the ratings, uh, 0.14. For the Saturday overnight ratings, uh, which, which I don't know how uh, ratings work, but point zero point one four does not seem great. No, that would mean I guess roughly uh, one hundred and forty thousand people would, in theory, be tuned in in the sort of overall out of one hundred sixty-two million Nielsen homes that they survey. Uh, they did they sort of did a little bit more kind of outreach this time around and looked in thirty-three markets instead of twenty-six. Uh, and the person who sort of helped me kind of understand this information said, yes, that is significantly worse than the point two that they got the last time. So <laughs> it's not going great. Uh, I know Liv, you know, reframed the point two as like, well, but that doesn't count like, you know, some of our, you know, streaming and doesn't count like the overall kind of thing. And and I think James Colgan and golf.com did a good sort of explainer of that of like, no, like it's an apples to oranges to carrots sort of comparison that they're trying to make here. Like you can't mm. take the entire mm. like broadcast that anyone had tuned in for one minute of that and then apply it to the larger sort of rating discussion. Like the ratings are the ratings. Like there's a reason why everyone the did the that. It'd be like, Oh, we have a $10 million, 10 million people rating. So I think it, it's, <laughs> it's not going great in terms of its uh, exposure. You know, who here's knows? why it's I don't important. know how it's going to get better. Like, at this point. I, I hear a lot of that of like, well, they're not counting the streaming thing. There's all these options. Well, it's like, okay, well, again, other places are not counting the streaming things too. If we're talking apples to apples here, you the COO, Otto Kasla, who has of course left since then, made the point, like speaking as the COO said, like this has to be on television. Like it has to be successful on television for this franchise model to work. If you need, you need eyeballs watching it for the franchises to have value for us to be able to recoup this investment. That is a very serious investment that we are planning to make money on, blah, blah, blah. All these things that they kept, keep saying and keep having to say to distract you from the fact that it's a blatant, obvious sports washing activity. So when it comes out that no one's watching, when it comes out, it's on the CW. And I have no idea if this is why I'm totally theorizing this, but I'm guessing that Otto Kostler knew like, all right, I'm not putting my name to this. If we're going to be on the CW, we're not going to get ratings. People are not going to be watching it. And we are going to come so woefully short. Our very own consultants said to us, we had to get all of these people and it had to be this blah, blah, blah for this to even be financially viable. This is not going to be financially viable. I'm out of here. And these television ratings are confirmation that it's not even freaking close to being financially viable uh, to the point where that's kind of a bet of their own making. Like it, I would not care about the ratings at all. I think it's still like I would care more about my whether I enjoy it personally. That's, again, like the intuition that I would follow. But they've made such a big deal out of that's how we're going to recoup our value that it becomes even more of a laughing stock when those numbers come out. I'll bet Sundays are better than last the the previous Mayakoba's Sundays because it ended up in a playoff and it was on, on the air for extra time. And I'm guessing... I'm guessing more people ended up there after the um, the Valspar ended. I, I would not be surprised at all. In that regard, it was kind of like, oh, there's more golf on. Like, I kind of can see a little bit of benefit for that. But for 99% of the weekend, it was like, man, it makes no fucking sense for me to have two devices going and watching two different talent groups spread out across the golf world in this way. That's, again, kind of how I've always felt about it, but thought that was interesting. I thought that uh, – I was talking to somebody this week who I'm not going to sort of name, but he was sort of saying that he had – had some conversations with Otto, like not before he was fired, but that he was really trying to run the whole thing like a an actual tech company, like, you know, sort of move it forward. And the basically like 
the head people sort of sided with Norman over and over again. And, you know, it's just, it just shows you like they had maybe some opportunities to be less of a clown show. And they repeatedly sided with the guy who is just proven that he's like going to make mistake after mistake and does not know what he's doing. And so that's, you know, a huge reason why Costa left, uh, Otto left is like, man, peace out. Like you guys figure this out. Like I'm, I tried to help you and I thought I had a way to sort of make it work and you guys wouldn't listen to me. So later. Something's going on with Norman. I don't know what it is, but it, the, the promotion of him has gotten way, way, way lighter uh, in recent weeks and months. He, it was theorized on Twitter that he had taken CEO of Live Golf out of his Twitter bio. Turns out that was never actually there. Thank you, KBV, for the reporting on that. Then after the tweets, sure enough, it goes up. He's it's added to his uh, his Twitter profile that he is, of course, the CEO of Live Golf. But uh, that was kind of hilariously in like insecure, like how quickly it was added to yes. his Twitter bio. Like if it was never there, why would not just be like, look, screw you guys. Like I don't care. Like I'm I'm just totally secure in my job. But as soon as like that stuff started buzzing around, it was like oh, immediately it was added to his Twitter bio. Like you know, it shows you like random like deep fried egg bot. You know, and, and like bots can sort of make it seem like they can send live into a frenzy of like, Oh shit, we have to like fix this, <laughs> which is so funny to me that they're that plugged into the weirdness of golf Twitter, you know, shout out deep Friday. You did a great job of looking into that. I, uh, I, I thought it'd be interesting too. I mean, I, I, I seriously can't, I can't like seriously break down Danny Lee's win. I mean, he won one time on the PGA tour, then flips over in two starts and wins a live event. It's kind of makes every possible case I've ever made for live golf of like, how the hell am I supposed to make sense of this? Like in the competitive landscape of the real professional golf tournaments, the guy was not a winner and now over there he is. And you guys claim that this is all this crazy talent. I'm sorry. It's just really freaking hard to evaluate what any of that means. I will say though, some interesting names, like ex I would expect to dominate over there are decidedly not. Uh, one of them being Cameron Smith. It has been six months basically of play where he has essentially been by the numbers, like equivalent to like, an Aaron Rye, uh, which is decidedly different from the Cam Smith from the last time we saw him in the main competitive golf ecosystem. And I don't really buy the narrative that like, all right, these guys aren't going to stay sharp over this calendar. And you know, how do you stay competitive now that you've got all the money? I, 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 I separate a couple guys out of that. I think DJ and Cam are the two that I'm like, no, I expect them to be there in majors and be competitive when they do show up and play. And to like not see anything out of him for like six months is it just caught my eye. I think a little bit. I'm, I'm guessing the answer is probably like, no, this is my scheduled downtime. Like I'll, I'll I'll ramp it up come major season. But six months is kind of a long period of time as well. And uh, he's not really been involved in the. I mean, he was. I guess he finished sixth in the first live event so far this year. But that's what's basically to be expected of him. And now he finished what t twenty four. I think this week middle of the pack of, in a live event is just kind of like, man, just disappointing. And also it was like the first two days was quite poor. Like it was, you know, way down there and, you know, we had a little bit better Sunday. It looks like I, I think you can sit here and make the argument. And I think you and I would both agree. We like Cam. Like we probably, as much as we might kind of make fun at live, like we still want Cam to sort of be a good golfer. Like he's just been a good dude. Like he's an interesting player to watch, but I just, I'm not sure that I buy you know, the whole thing of like, I can turn it on when I want to. And if that's the case, if Cam is really like just chilling out, like, Hey, this is kind of my downtime. What have you bought into if you're live? Like if guys are basically like, ah, man, like this is uh this is just my kind of like off season. Like I'm, I'm just going to kind of show up here and not grind. Like I'd be pretty pissed if I was Yasser 
And I was like, yo, man, I gave you like $100 million, and now I got Danny Lee winning in a playoff over, <laughs> you know, Louis Ustazen and Carlos Ortiz. And like, I, just to clarify, those are my off. words on just chill. Like, I'm trying to like, sure. justify, like, if, if he's, you know, not in peak form, yeah. right? I, those are no, not I'm his words. Hypothetically, like, in just, that yeah, like yeah. I don't think he's probably doing that, but mentally, like, I, don't, I can't imagine he's like really grinding and thinking like, oh, I've got to win this event in Tucson. But that's the thing. Like if you were live like the people who put this together and you're having to justify it to MBS or whomever, I don't think it like makes a lot of like, it's not exactly what you wanted. You didn't buy into this idea of like Phil Mickelson shooting 74, 75, 70 and Bryson being an absolute dumpster fire and all this and Kepka being a non-factor. You, you were hoping that it would be those guys clashing every week. That was the whole po selling point of like, oh, the top players should be facing each other all the time. Yes. And they're, that's is what's going to be so exciting. How will the PGA Tour ever compete when we have all the top players and they're you know, clashing every single week? And then it turns out like Brendan Steele and Danny Lee and Charles Howell are dudes who are winning your events. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it seems like a, a bit of a bait and switch if you're, if you're the Saudis. Like, I'd be pissed at Norman and be like, yo, like, why did you bring these guys over here? <laughs> They should have got more mules, right? They should have like got, they should have got more guys more to, mules, to play the roles and just r roll over and let these guys beat the shit out of them. They said but, mules and they literally got mules for their promotional thing <laughs> instead of like you know pretend mules. That was their sad. I want to say this: like, did Phil Mickelson see all the praise that he got for his calves and decide to turn his whole body into looking like it's the calves? Like just, Dude. You know, I'm gonna be sinewy and like muscly and like kind of gaunt and like I'm just gonna make my whole face look like a calf. Whoever did the 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 tweet that was Phil's press conference that he looked like an XFL coach that is trying to explain a 39 to seven loss was one of like that sent me into a different like a totally different spectrum. Uh, like I, that just sent me into a different ecosystem of laughter when I saw that one. Poor Louis Ustazen looks like he's wearing like he's a big fan of like. The Sycamore, like minor league baseball team, with that, uh, you know, with the Stingers hat on. It's just a very much a minor league baseball aesthetic. It's all so so dumb. It's it's crazy. Dustin Johnson playing some okay golf, I guess. Solo again, thirteenth place. I don't know what to do with any of that. But as we go into the Masters, he was kind of like a guy that I think I even at one point picked him to win the Masters this year. In terms of like, dude, do not forget. Well, I know it was 2020, and it was a fall Masters. It was weird, but like, he decimated Augusta National, and it just feels like he is the perfect vibe of dude to, like, I don't care about any of this other drama going on. I'm going to come out and play golf at the Masters. Um, he's he's maintained, like, a plus 1.7 strokes gained over the past uh, – I forget what I, – I typed all this out, but I don't remember what time period that is, but he's playing some some decent golf, and I think it's noteworthy. It's just like, dude, these guys have not played enough to evaluate how they're doing going into this into this major championship series. They got one more start the week before. They're going to be at um, in, in Florida, in Orlando for for that event, but that's it. And then it's it's major championship time, and I don't I don't really know what to take ahead of this other than Brooks has been extremely average. Phil has been a shot and a half below average from a PGA like a professional golfer standpoint. It's not good. Uh, I mean, Bryson is below average player, a golfer. Now it's really sad. He finished 44th, I think this week out of 48 dudes. Um, and I feel like we could do an entire podcast on Bryson and we won't, but like not yet, but whatever happened in that is just, it's really kind of sad because 
he was interesting whether you liked him or not. Like he made it interesting. And this whole thing where people are like, oh, you're going to feel so owned if one of these lift guys wins like a major. No, I think it'll actually be kind of fascinating. It'll be yeah. awesome. Like if DJ won the Masters, I would love to write about that. I think that would be super interesting and compelling. It'd be fun to talk about. So this idea that like I'll feel like hurt if Patrick Reed or Dustin Johnson, whatever. But like I don't see Bryson making the cut in any majors right now. Like how can anyone sort of expect like – that anything about his game feels like top 200 in the world at this point. I mean, he's just lost. I mean, he's fallen. And for those that think that this is just about official world golf rankings that don't count the live events, no. This is about the actual data golf rankings, which count everything. He has gone from being third in the world at this time two years ago all the way down to 103rd now. And... I mean, his his recent results are he finished 24th at Mayakoba. He missed the cut in Saudi. T21 at Jeddah, 14th, T8, T17, T31. Again, these are just out of 48 dudes, right? This is not – these are not actually top 25 finishes that actually mean anything. He finished T8 at the Open and finished 10th in Portland, but T56 at the U.S. Open, and he missed the three previous cuts before that. That's like – that's all the golf he's played in the last year, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. I know there's been injuries, but, man, it has been – a serious, serious, serious decline in his golf to the point where he is, um, he was a plus two player as of 2021. Now he's negative 1.59. We're talking about he's lost 3.6 shots per round since two years ago. That is a enormous fall off. And I, 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 as much as I can't stand the dude, I've again, never rooted against his golf. He's only interesting. If he's playing good golf and it's fascinating to watch his style of play fit into, you know, going up against any other player. It's always fascinating to watch. So like him playing poor golf is not fun for anyone at any level. And I do not enjoy that part. I'll be bummed if he just becomes like a YouTube driving range sort of, you know, freak like that. And that may be what makes him happy. So if he wants to do that, but I, I think obviously he's going to have exemptions into majors for, you know, many years, but I, I just, it's going to bum me out if uh, he never finds something again. Yep. Um, shall we get to our interview KBV? Are you ready for that? I would love that. I think uh, Billy was a very uh, interesting uh, interview. He, he made some, you know, points that we don't agree with, but obviously we had a nice back and forth. So I'd like to great convo that. with Billy. Appreciate his time on a Saturday morning. Before we do that, golf, unforgiving sport. You know, hitting it into the hazard. It sometimes happens out there. Maybe we need more hazards as we go into this distance debate. Uh, it's the same is true for disasters. Sometimes they cannot be avoided. Thankfully, for those situations, there's Serve Pro. They're the leader in cleaning, restoration, and construction, and experts in making any disaster like it never even happened. So if your business needs a mulligan after a disaster, give the pros at Serve Pro a call. They got over two thousand locations serving ninety-seven percent of zip codes. They're able to respond fast. They're available 24-7. I can attest to that. Our family has needed it twice in the last five years. You never want to have to call SurfPro, but when you do, they are there for you. SurfPro.com or 1-800-SURFPRO today. Uh, listen, there's a lot of things in the golf world that I wish never even happened. Uh, I wish Spieth did not miss the putt on 17. I, and I wish, you know, Adam Shank did not have his situation. I w definitely wish that never even happened. That's what folks at SurfPro can do. They can make, like, any disaster never even happen again. 1-800-SURFPRO or SurfPro.com. Here is Billy Horschel. We'll be back on the back half of this to add some commentary on distance as well. All right, Billy, well, what is your overall reaction to the proposal that was laid out by the USGA this past week? I wasn't shocked because I was in a PAC meeting last year when, when the USGA came and addressed the PAC and sort of, you know, gave uh, their opinions, sort of gave what they were thinking to us. Uh, let's just say that PAC meeting was a very interesting PAC meeting. Uh, there was a lot of challenges towards the USGA and, and a lot of 
sort of make try to make our point of why are we really doing this? Is this really affecting the game of golf? Uh, the majority of the game of golf. And so, yeah, I wasn't shocked when the announcement was made. And, um, you know, we're, we're see what goes from there. Did you think that message got through? Let me ask this for you. It's hard for you, I know, to gauge the temperature in the room. I do want to ask that that kind of question as well. But for you, does the message get through at all? Do you do you think uh, do you agree with them in in terms of their distance analysis, the reporting that they've done, the studies that they've done, and how it does affect the game of golf? Do you see that point of view, or, or do you disagree with that? What's kind of your your uh, your understanding of what they're trying to say about how distance affects the game of golf in reaction to it? So it's funny, I've sort of been on this for about five to seven years when they started talking about uh, rolling back the golf ball. I mean, I could go back if I had the time and I cared that much about it. I can go back through my tweets and, and see some of the stuff that I said and some of the people that challenged me on it that now have changed their views that are in the media. But I don't think the golf ball should be rolled back. I don't think distance is a factor. Has distance increased? Yes, it has. Uh, is it because of the golf ball? I don't believe the golf ball is the main factor in distances being increased. Uh, I've said for, you know, five to seven years now, 1A is TrackMan, 1B is the golfer themselves. TrackMan, we're able to optimize everything to the nth degree to get every uh, ounce of yardage we can out of a drive or out of the golf ball. Um, same thing with the golfer. We're bigger, stronger, faster, fitter. Perfect example is Matt Fitzpatrick. He's worked his butt off to gain eight to nine miles per hour, you know, more club at speed. So that's not the golf ball. That's the, that's the golf themselves, you know, doing the work, uh, the golf, the driver shafts are, 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 uh, are lighter. So people are able to swing them faster. You know, the driver shaft is longer now than it was, you know, probably two decades ago. At 45 and, you know, roughly over 45 inches is what the average golfer on the PGA Tour uses compared to 43. So there's many factors that go into this, and I don't believe the golf ball should have been singled out. Yes, distance has increased on the PGA Tour. There's no doubt about that. But I think if you look at the average club head speed on the PGA Tour over the last five years, I would say I think it's pretty stable at around 114 average. And we are making a a change for 0.1% of the golfers in in the world. Now, when they sort of talk about, you know, the sustainability of the game of golf and golf courses being built longer and the cost of maintaining courses that are uh, longer, the you know, watering, all these other factors that come in. You know, I one of the challenges that I would I'd raise to them and I address is why are golf courses being built at more than 7,000 yards, if we know for a fact they're not going to hold a PGA Tour event. You know, the average amateur plays from 6,500 yards to 6,800 yards. So golf courses are being built longer for a couple reasons. To have the major championship or a championship course name attached to it. Or the other factor is, and it's the truth, I'm not saying every course is like this, but as a developer, if you're going to build a golf course, you're going to build one at 74, 7,500 yards versus 7,000 yards because that gives you four or 500 yards more to put houses on or around the golf course. Yeah, so there's many factors of why courses are longer. But at the end of the day, if we're only playing maybe 50-plus courses on PGA Tour, I know some of those courses you know, have added some tees over the years. But we're, like I said, it goes back to my point. We're making decisions based on 0.1% of the golfers for – less than 1% of the courses that are in the world today. I don't believe 
you know, I, I just, I think it, I find it funny when I hear courses are adding link, you know, regular golf courses adding link when those back tees are hardly ever used throughout the year. You know, you play 20,000 rounds at a, a course that's 7,300 yards long. That's not a tour course. You know, maybe those tees are being used 600 times out of the 20,000 rounds. So it just doesn't make sense to me that we're doing something for a 0.1% of the golfers in the world when the game of golf and the average amateur is having more enjoyment in the game of golf than they've ever probably had in the history of the game of golf. Oh, a lot there. I'm excited to react to all that. Yeah. A lot there. I, I am. I agree with you on so much of what you said in terms of the contributing factors to what has contributed to distance, right? And I, I'm, I'm going to go a different direction on this. So we're, we're talking about a rollback of the golf ball only. I, I'll just state my case as well. I think driver heads are a lot to blame with this. I think 460 cc's. I've said this in the past, like 460 cc's wailing on it. Gives you permission to wail on it. Gives you encouragement to wail on it. The miss hits are so much better, it's almost a risk not to wail on driver. I think that's probably a bigger problem. We had Mike Juan earlier on this week, challenged him on that, say, what's what's the deal with that? And he kind of laid out a, 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 a timeline of like how difficult this would be to roll back the driver head at this point, right? So it feels like, to me, USGA has tried to go down different routes of saying, look, we're not going to ban track, man. All right, we're not going to try to tell you you can't figure out how your ball is going to fly. Driver head, if we do that, we got to do this to three wood. We got to do this to hybrids. We got to do that. Like, that's going to have a through the bat. Listen, just trust us. We've looked down every avenue. The golf ball is our fastest route to limiting something. I'm going to read something from the 2022 distance report you said, because you, I agree with str- training, all of that stuff that has contributed to this. They said, whether these increases in distance emanate from advancing equipment technology, greater athleticism of players, improved player coaching, golf course conditioning, or a combination of these or other factors, they will have the impact of seriously reducing the challenge of the game. So ignoring sustainability and all that for right now, I'm of the opinion that driver has in, in ways for a lot of people can reduce the challenge of the game or dumb it down in, in, a redu- in reductive terms to driver wedge. And I think you guys are so, f- you, your talents maybe are not fully put on display because of how much driver emphasis there is in the game. What's your reaction to any of that? Yeah, so I said this, you know, I've been a proponent of this for years. There's so many skills that you have to be great at in the game of golf to be, cons- you know, to play at a high level. I think one of the skills that has been lost through all this technology advancement is the ability to hit the center of the club face more often and get rewarded for that. Now it's been great for the amateurs because they've been rewarded for that. But I think at our level that I, you know, and I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. I'm just making a point. If you look at my, and I'm a tireless, I have a tireless driver. If you look at my tireless driver, my T marks are probably about that wide, all of them, you know, from everywhere I hit. I mean, they're very close to the center every time. Maybe a rarity, I hit one off the toe or heel, very rare. But when I look at other guys that have a tireless driver, like their T marks are from the center all the way out to the toe or from the center all the way out to the heel. And I look at that, I'm like, F me. Like, really? I'm like, I'm, I'm happy that that's great that we have this technology that when we do miss it, but it's amazing to see a professional golfer with the driver be that inconsistent hitting the center of the face that often. So, you know, they're able to swing harder and their misses don't go nearly as far offline. So the one thing I've said is let's make the center of the sweet spot smaller where you get rewarded more often. And by doing that, I think miss hits would be more offline. And that's the only thing I've ever said. We'll reward the guy for hitting it for it. A Cameron Young is impressive to watch to hit a driver. 
and he hits it so far and so straight. But if he hits it offline or mishits it, he should be penalized for the ball going curving more. That is, that's always been my argument is let's not penalize someone for developing their skill more. Let's penalize a person who wasn't able to be as skillful in hitting this in the face and penalize them for the ball going more offline. So I agree with you in, 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 in that sense and sense of the driver. Would you agree that something should be done about the highest level competitive golf right now? Yeah, I mean, yes. Like I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say no. I, I think guys, I, the thing I see day in, day out on the PGA Tour is that we're not penalized for mishitting, having mishit shots as often anymore. And this rollback does not address that, I think, is maybe... And this, and this rollback doesn't address... Everyone thinks this rollback's going to address the ball curving more. No. no, it's just it's bringing back the distance of the golf ball. And from what I've sort of talked to some manufacturers, that it may make the ball go even straighter because of the compression of the golf ball, what it needs, the compression needs to be. So it's going to be less spin, which makes the ball go straighter. But I think, like I said, I, I just believe that we're so talented as golfers. Let's make it a little bit more challenging and, and, and add that one skill that I think we've lost throughout the decades. We've been able to gain so many areas of skill, but the one skill that I think has been lost at the professional level is the ability to hit the ball in the center of the face on a repeated basis and get rewarded for that. And that's what I would, you know, if there was some way to do that that wouldn't have a dramatic effect and a cost effect Listen, there's going to be a cost effect to any changes that are made. That's just a fact. But if there's any way that to do that, that players would, uh, tour players would approve of. And I think that's something I think all tour players could get behind. Um, you know, just hearing what they say is that, you know, the guys that, you know, my length, listen, I hit it, I averaged 297 on the range, 295 to just under 300 my entire career on tour. You know, a lot of those guys and some below me have always said, you know, they're fine with the guys hitting it far. They just want it when they miss hit it to be, you know, penalized the way they should be. So, yeah, I, that's that's where I would stand if, if there was some way to do that in, in a way that uh, we could all get on board with it. I, I'm, I, I think this rollback addresses whatever, 20 to 25 percent of the problem. I don't know what the actual number is. I think it I would rather what you said get addressed more than just the ball go less distance. I also recognize the challenges in changing all that. And I think if I were to just to summarize USGA's point is like, I hear you on all that. I, we'd love to be able to address that. I don't. I, I you got to understand how complicated all that is. Can we just limit how far it's going for right now? Let's let's do this for right now, and then we can start to work on these one by ones. Because I'm curious, kind of how you see this um, a, a benefit of this. Like the long players are still going to be the longest. They're still going to get rewarded. It's still a skill. You're not limiting driving distance skill. I think there's a lot of you know misconceptions about that, but. Where you're sitting, I would think a benefit for you potentially is, all right, if there's a bunker at 305 carry, Rory probably isn't thinking about it in most most launch conditions, right? He is going to be able to cover it. He's probably hitting it to a wider spot. He is exacerbating his driving distance advantage over you in that scenario, whereas now with a rollback ball, 305 might mean he has to play to the same part of the fairway that you're playing towards. He's still going to be ahead of you. There's still going to be an advantage, but he's not able to exacerbate that advantage on in as many situations do you see that as a potential benefit to your game at all does it allow him not to carry that bunker possibly going forward you know that's a that's a real possibility but you know it's he still has the advantage of of 20 25 yards in front of me he's still going to hit a shorter club in you know he has to worry about that bunker that he, he possibly can't carry anymore so you know you see that you already see that now 
you already see that now with certain courses that are designed um, and bu bunkers positioned in the right way, where if they possibly can't carry that bunker, you know, that does bring a challenge to them. But even if they don't, they're still 25 yards in front of me and they're hitting a couple clubs less than me. So, yes, I mean, I understand your point, but there's still an advantage to them by, by being 20, 25 yards in front of me uh, going forward. Yes, it just may not allow them to carry a certain bunker going forward. I guess my, my reaction to that is I just remember watching DJ, Rory, and Fleetwood play in Dubai or in, in Abu Dhabi. And Fleetwood's playing out here. And by cutting the corner, Rory and, and DJ could get an 80-yard advantage, which is not consistent with how much farther they hit the ball than Tommy Fleetwood at that time. So, like, in theory, you're going to play to that part of the fairway anyways. You might as well get – if you get joined by the longer guys playing to that way, you, that helps you a little bit. But it's, it's And a, I can it see the point. Me. You know, it's it's a perfect example is, is – is, 13 Augusta, my favorite par five in the world. It's all, I mean, when I first played it in 2014, I was like, man, this is the greatest par five. I, I loved watching it on TV and it just playing it added to it. But when I play it, I can't take it over the trees that the Bubba Watson, the Bryson DeChambeau's, the Rory's, the DJ's could. So I had to play out and around. And if they could cover that, you know, they got advantage. But as I tell people is if they pulled it, they were in trouble. If they mishit it, they were in trouble. So they had to hit that line and hit the perfect shot for them to get full advantage of of what they were trying to trying to do. And if they didn't, they got penalized for it. So that's why I was never a fan of of moving that tee back at thirteen. Was for the fact of there's very few guys that are doing what you know some, that taking that line. And if they don't pull it off, which is a very high probability because it has to be struck perfectly, it has to be launched perfectly, the wind has to be done, you know, be the right way, they're going to be penalized um, for it in some way or another. Billy, I've covered a lot of U.S. Opens, and I feel like there's a distinct lack of trust between the players and the USGA. How much do you think that factors into sort of the feeling about this, and, and why do you think that lack of trust exists? Yeah, you know, that's a great point, Kevin, and, and I think you're – you're pretty much spot on. I think the trust between the USGA and the players has has dwindled over the years. You know, there's a multitude of reasons for that. I think it has to do sometimes with possibly setups of certain courses over the years uh, at US Opens. You know, I'll bring up a perfect example is Chambers Bay in, in 2015. My little <laughs> snake little thing. I think that, I'm not going to say that was a starting point, but just being there that week and talking to other players and and the way the USGA and the way the, the, the coverage on Fox, you know, really tried to say the greens were perfect. You know, there was nothing, no issues wrong with the greens, that guys were missing three and four footers because of the pressure. That was just, you know, you know, I think that was a little, uh, you know, notch in the trust of, of the USGA. Um, I said multitude of players, you know, behind closed doors, we're not happy with the way the USGA addressed it. Obviously, I said my comments afterwards, and a lot of my comments was because of the way everything was being addressed, and, and the USGA wasn't being truthful, truthful, and the Fox coverage made us look awful. I've, I've said this a couple times, and a lot of people don't know about it still. Uh, Mike Davis called me the Tuesday after the US Open and apologized for the condition of the golf course. He apologized that they didn't do a better job. And I just said, Mike, I said, this all could have been covered if, if you guys would just came out Early in weeks, said, hey, listen, we messed up. The greens aren't what they were. They're not championship caliber condition greens the way we normally would have at the U.S. Open. 
and and we understand that and and you know we're going to do better next time and he admitted they should have done that i said the pj tour i think did that um earlier that year at the players championship when the greens were really bad and not one player said one bad thing about the greens we all just said hey the tour address it they know they messed up they know they effed up you know done deal and so i think um you know a little bit of that and then the one other thing I, I mentioned to Mike Davis years ago was for so for so many decades, the USGA was seen as the um, influencer in the game of golf, where golfers look to for advice and, and the way to, you know, play the game of golf and all these other things. Well, that has changed. That has switched. And that made a major switch to the PJ Tour and the PJ Tour players over the last couple of decades. And I said, Mike. The PJ Tour and the PJ and the players on the PJ Tour have the power. They have the pool. They have the influence with the golfers now. Now, and I said, I'm not saying we're trying to, you know, you know, pound our chest on this, but you need, we need to work more together. We need to get together in on this and and work more closely with us and bring us more in on your discussions and everything else. And I wasn't the only one player saying this. There was a lot of other players saying the same thing to the USGA at the same time. You know, that's one reason why they hired Jason Gore and Jason Gore was so great. And uh, I will say that over the last several U.S. Opens he's been at, it's been a tr- you know, dramatic change in the way things are done, the way the course is set up just by moving pin placements a couple paces here or there. You don't get those crazy ones that you would see at Shinnecock and certain other places over the years. So that trust and that um, the factor with the PGA Tour and the USGA just isn't there. And I, I feel like we need to try and regain that somehow. But, you know, I think the players are willing to, and the PJ Tour is willing to come to. I know the PJ Tour talks to them, but I'm just saying the PJ Tour and whole entire PJ Tour family, you know, just we all just need to somehow come together and have more discussions about this because, like I said, the USGA just still wants to be the lone horse out there on their own when right now the PJ Tour and the PJ America have this great alliance together and working so well. The USGA needs to somehow figure out how to do that with the PGA Tour going forward, in my opinion. How do you view the role of the USGA in terms of a governing body? That's something that an exercise I feel like we're all kind of going through <laughs> in terms of, you know, it, you know, should the PGA Tour be making all of the rules as it comes to the game of golf, right? Like, And so, yeah, I'm just not a fan of bifurcation. I've never have been, you know, there's been discussions over my 14 years on the PGA Tour of players talking about it and players meetings of talking about impact. And I've just never been a fan of it. I, I, I follow the rules. I follow, I like, I'm a, a man of tradition. I like keeping things the way I've always seen them and, and, and have had them. I'm, I'm I want to keep it unified. Um, I think that's the way the game of golf should be. I think that's the way everyone can work together and, and hopefully harmony. And every, you know, we don't have two sets of rules and we're, you know, players and people in the game of golf, especially new people coming or trying to figure out what set of rules do I play by, everything else. The role of USGA, what is their role today? You know, that's a great question. Obviously, them and the RNA are, are the ones who set rules and, and, and oversee the, you know, the game of golf, just as the PGA of America does and as the PGA Tour you know, does in a certain way as well. You know, that's something I haven't, you know, that question I haven't really even put that much thought into. But you know, I'll just say what I said earlier. I think there's a there's got to be a way that the USGA, the RNA, the PJ Tour, and the PJ of America, and if there's another body or two of organizations that I'm missing out, need to figure out some way to. There's got to be a way that we can come together and and work, you know, 
you know, I, I say more efficiently, more, you know, better for, you know, the next several decades, because if we're still going and tugging at each other and, and we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that, um, or we're going to implement this, you know, and we're not on the same page, it's not going to be great for the game of golf going forward because, uh, I, you just, you, you've seen it throughout the history of time when that happens, it, nothing is, is works well. And, and it's a hindrance to the growth of anything. I'm wondering out loud if if the new regime at the USGA with Mike Wan can lead to that, right? I think that slowly building the trust back up, and I have a lot of faith in Mike Wan on this. But you mentioned not being a fan of bifurcation. I want to take you through my little flow chart on it, right? And it's like, all right, the question, is distance an issue in golf? I would say yes. Some people would say no, but I would say yes. Okay, how do we address it? Uh, Should we roll the ball back for everyone? We ran a little informal Twitter poll. 14% of our audience, the hardest core golfers out there, want a rollback for everyone. So we have eight, a very unpopular thing would be rollback for everyone, right? So flowchart, again, is distance still an issue in golf? Yes. Uh, where is that distance exacerbated the most, highest level? Okay, should we do something about this to, roll, to rein this in, to, to prevent the kind of dumbing down of the game and kind of the, the challenges that have gone gone with that? Like, is bifurcation the best option? I don't think so. I personally think rollback for everyone would be the best option. I know people don't want to hear that. I don't. I think the gains that are that have come from distance for amateurs are offset by going back too far in tees. Anyways, like this, the footprint just doesn't of golf doesn't need to be big. That's kind of my thesis overall. I'm summing up summing up an extremely complicated topic in as simple terms as possible. So all that to being said. I'm down with bifurcation. Like, I'm down to limit this. I'm down to say, like, hey, like, we can go around it in a lot of different ways, but I promise you we'll end up with you and I agreeing the ball should go a a certain distance. Like, it shouldn't go 450 yards and it shouldn't go 150 yards, right? So we can agree it should go a certain distance. We might disagree on what that distance is, but in some way, USGA and RNA are already regulating how far the ball goes. We're talking about a change in that regulation of how far it goes. And for reasons they've listed out on multiple of ways – and, and I, I think the best case against any of this is your 0.1% of golf courses that we're talking about, 0.1% of, of talent. But I maintain, and I, 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 it's something that I've seen throughout all of this, is many people standing up and saying, I want to play the same rules as the pros. I want to play the same ball. This is a unification game. That's what it is. And to that, I'd say the game of golf takes its cues from professional golf. And we've seen that with go- the golf. You're talking about, yeah, shouldn't build golf courses that have tees that aren't for pros. That you can't regulate that, right? You can no, tell you people can't. you can't. You, you could say, "Hey, tee it forward." They ran a, a tee it forward campaign. Everyone should be playing further up tees than they do. People don't really respond to that, right? So again, it's it's like a a, a, a million different ways of the flow chart that end up with like, all right, let's just let the ball not go as far. Seems like the best option for me. You know, you're, you're right in the, in several things, but let me I'll, I'll address a couple that you said. You can't regulate what someone's going to how long they're going to build a golf course. But if that person is going to build a golf course and that architect and the people put behind the money of building that golf course, then my opinion is you can't. They can't complain about the cost of maintaining that golf course because they built that golf course. They were the ones who built that golf course at that length, and they knew what the maintaining of that golf course was going to be. So you know, like I said, I'm not blaming that person. I'm just bringing out you. You had they had the option to to, to build a course that was going to be maintained at a lower cost and they didn't do that. The thing about the USGA and, and the golf ball and limiting it, the USGA's fault is that they didn't change their rules or their, their parameters in the early 2000s. And they yes. admitted it to us in USGA. Yes. Oh yeah. They messed up. They messed up. They, they kept the, the swing speed, they kept the launch conditions and balls and everything else. 
you know, at a spot that, you know, they, they, it was their fault, their fault. And, and a lot of this, I'm not saying, not like I said, I'm not blaming, I'm not saying it's all the USGA's fault um, because the players have gotten longer and there's been technology advancement and everything. But some of this is falls on the USGA shoreless for not doing their job, what they were, have done throughout the history of time. And now they're trying to, to make up for the, the issues that they made. I like Mike Wan. Mike Wan at the LPGA was unbelievable. I thought he killed it there. He's done so much for, for those women. And, and I have a several friends, lots of friends out there. Um, and what he was doing and, and the momentum that he, you know, brought to that tour, tour is awesome. And I'm excited that Mike Wan, still am excited that Mike Wan is at the USGA and is at the USGA. But the question I have is that I've never seen this in the game of golf where something gets announced in every organization, every manufacturer, every, you know, you know, important entity in the game of golf is on the same page about what they want to do. And they all may have different reasons for, you know, being on that same page, but it just doesn't look great is that I haven't seen one top, you know, tour, one, you know, manufacturer, one, you know, even the AJGA came out and mentioned that they weren't in favor of this rollback because of the cost effects it was going to linger down to to the golfers beyond the professional ranks. So it, it's one of those things like, wow, did they just not look at everything and sort of feel things out, which I know they, which isn't true, but did they just not see a, a, the bigger picture and, and the f- effects it was going to have going down further to the lower ranks? I'm just going to stop you on that because I think they they were pretty adamant about this is a this is what the this is a proposal and this is what the comment period is for right like mm-hmm. Mike Wan was like I I haven't the way that order of operations here is I I present this and open up for comment I haven't had the private conversations I want to have in relation to this because I got to get the proposal out for it to be the comment period right so great 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 point great if point. it ends at the end of that where they just truly didn't listen to anyone's input and they've listened to input from last year there was different proposals last year that they yeah. landed on this proposal so kevin great i know point. you had a question yep. i know you got to run here billy but uh billy we have a, a five-month comment period here and you know obviously these changes aren't going to be for a while in 2026 how likely do you think it is that the tours players are going to willing to go along with this could we see sort of you know different set of rules for different championships and and different you know tournaments so I don't know this for a fact. Um, this is just my opinion, and I, I want to be clear on that before I state <laughs> this. Um, and it gets out. Um, oh, yeah. Well, context I, is I, there. <laughs> if this is implemented, I'd be hard-pressed to see the PJ Tour adopt it. Um, over the several years of the USGA doing this distance report and everything else, the Tour has, you know, when they USGA brought stuff to, to us to look at it and, and view, um, the PJ Tour has – counter that with their studies and and their evidence and let's just say the pj tour is not in favor of any distance rollback um up into as far as i know as sitting here right now so um and i don't think the tour players would be um in favor of it um i don't think the majority of tour players would be in favor of it um obviously we have a top players that are you know and the, the pack that are um, involved in discussions on, on the tour on many different cases right now. Um, but I, I just, like I said, I just don't see, see it happen on the, on, on the tour um, in, in 2026 that this was to be implemented. Uh, so, so yeah, that's where I think the tour and the tour players would stand. Um, I could be wrong. 
but uh, I, I don't think I am in, in stating that. It's really interesting because back in 2002, the USGA made, I'm going to kind of paraphrase the comment, but like any, any further significant increases in hitting distances at the highest level are undesirable. And in the 2003, the PGA Tour said, we will work with the USGA and be in alignment with the USGA. And I'm paraphrasing that. So lots change in 20 years, like, you know, and no, the specifics exactly right. need to be worked and out. I, but I think, you know, there's many different things. Obviously, yes, the tour will say, hey, listen. Yes, they will admit distances have been increased, but it's been less than one yard per year over the last 12 years. And like I said earlier, I think when you look at the average club at speed on the PGA Tour has been the same, about 114. The average, the driving distance has been about the same, give or take different conditions, weather years. And, you know, I can sit here and say, hey, listen, we play fairways that, I mean, the ball runs 20, 30 plus yards every week. I mean, I played TPC Monday, a player's championship, and the ball was running five yards. It was leaving a pitch mark and five yards the ball was rolling out by thursday the ball was running out 25 yards in the fairway and i didn't play the weekend but i just played tpc yesterday uh and the ball was running out 30 yards because it's so firm and so burnt out and everything so i can say there's many different factors that go into the distances and everything but at the same time you know the tv is looking at i mean tv the tour is looking at the tv and the value and entertainment value and the tv numbers and, and seeing how how many people are watching game of golf and tuning in and, and people are enjoying it and you know i consider and say that as a golf fan and i'm a tour player but as a golf fan i am i am marveled by the way cameron young can hit a driver and 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 roy mcroy i love it i i love playing with them because they're great guys and it's impressive to see some of the drives they hit uh, but I'm also pissed off at the same time when they do miss hit a drive and they don't get penalized for it enough and they hit it offline. So, but I think golf fans love seeing something that they can't do. That is something that I think is in any sport. Uh, I think it's impressive. You know, fans love seeing a home run in baseball. They love that. You know, they love seeing a quarterback throw, you know, a 50-yard pass down the, down the sideline, the wide receiver jump over the, the cornerback and make an impressive catch. That's something that they, the, the regular fan cannot do. So my worry is that if we roll back the ball, you know, will fans still have that, you know, awe factor of what we're able to do because of how highly talented and skillful we are. My challenge to that Billy is a hundred million percent. I think they will. Uh, the, if a 5% I don't disagree roll back, with you. I don't disagree uh, yeah. with you. A 5% rollback is about the same in like launch conditions in TPC Scottsdale versus Torrey Pines, right? Like, and I'm not, you know, I'm a fairly good player. I don't launch it like a tour pro at Scottsdale and that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's not comparable. And I think distance is relative. I think that's the important thing. It's not fun being on the pro rollback side and have it, you know, we're supposed to be the edgy golf guys, whatever, go, oh, you old fuds. It's not fun to be on that side, but like, I think. People, uh, you know, home runs are exciting in baseball, but when everyone's hitting them, it's not that exciting, right? And it, it's the relative distance that's still going to be in awe. When Cameron Young wails on a driver, like we're, look, I do this for a living, I can't tell you the difference to my eyes between a 310 driver and a 340 driver. I can't. Like, I, I, I can't. And I, I walked around the players, I guarantee most of the people there, would, you know, they're not going to see Cameron Young hit a ball and be like, Oof, I could do that. Like, that wasn't impressive at all. It's still so insanely impressive and, like, you guys have gained, like, on the average golfer more than, like, the 5%. You know what I mean? In terms of, like, the benefits you've seen from distance of just your skill level and things like that to say, like, 
this actually isn't that big of a deal. I think this rollback, I don't think it's that drastic. I think people think we're going back to laying up on par fives and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's just a little shift in how in the inputs in it. And I think it can lead to a more interesting game. That's a really tough thing to like convey on social media and like convince people that have made up their minds. But I, I think it's an interesting, definitely an interesting debate to have. And uh, I, I do think it, I don't think this changes a lot of what you think is exciting about golf. That's my personal opinion. I don't disagree with you. I, and um, I don't disagree that, it would be, you know, sometimes it'd be nice to, uh, you know, play courses where we're, everyone's hitting more mid to long irons in the greens and seeing that skill level instead of hitting wedges of short irons, you know, but at the same time, I look at them like, well, those weeks I'm not hitting it great. It's nice. I don't have to hit that five iron five times during the round and I can hit five, nine irons into the green. So, you know, it's, it's a catch 22. I, I can get I, what I want to see. I'm happy that I don't see when I'm not playing well and everything else. So it, we're, it's a tough situation that we're in. And, and I know there is no right answer in my opinion that everyone's going to be on board. My entire thing for the last, you know, handful of years, just, you know, just let's just penalize guys that miss hit, miss hit, miss hit the center of the club face more often. And when they do miss hit it offline, they get penalized for that. Whether that's designing courses differently, whether that's, you know, growing, putting trees rough, whatever it may be. Oh, we made it this far without grow the rough up. I, I was just I'm not saying grow the rough up. Okay. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I think, and I'll, and I'll say this, I don't think the rough needs to be stupid long, but I think there is a link, there is a certain link that does make a certain a different factor into into um into play and i'm not saying it needs to be chop out rough but there is a there is a certain link that where you take it just a little bit longer it does bring a little bit you know uh, makes it a little bit more tougher to control um a shot out of going forward that's what I find Riv to be interesting. The, the the cut of rough at Riv is, and I granted that's a genius design. There's no rough, it's, it's, firm greens. Yeah, it's, but it, it's it causes, non-existent. but it causes it jumps a little, right? It, it, it you know you can hit any yep. shot you want, but like controlling it when you get to the green is the penalty that you pay in that. I find that style of golf unbelievably appealing. I know I'm a hardo, but like. I, there's a sentiment online of just grow the rough up, narrow the fairways. That's going to combat distance. And I've been writing this on repeat. I'm like, I don't know who uh, do people not watch the 2019 PGA and the 2020 US Open, where like Beth Page was a true bomber's paradise, Wingfoot a true bomber's paradise. To say like that, that in my opinion is not a way to um, combat distance. What you said is very different, though. I think in terms of how it can pre- prevent different challenges, the rough can prevent different challenges. Yeah. So perfect example is is Honda this year. Last year, the rough was really long. And when you hit it in the rough and you got to carry the water, you know, that you're not going to take that opportunity because that lie is not as good. This year, they cut it down where it was more or less somewhat of a flyer lie where you knew you could get enough club on it. You knew you were going to carry it, but you couldn't, you know, you weren't sure was it going to fly, was it not going to fly. So that brought a challenge in for that course, which was perfect for that golf course. TPC Scottsdale, on the other hand, this year, they, they cut the rough down again this year compared to last year which made it easier because when you miss the fairways, you know, you had great lies and yes, it may fly out over that, that overseeded, but very often does it. Um, it doesn't really do it. Um, but the year before they had it up a little higher. And um, it's one of those things where I say, it's not so much that it makes it, you're, you're getting chopped out rough, but it just sits a certain way that you lose a little bit of control in the sense of, Hey, I've got to muscle this out a little bit more. So now, you know, I know I can get it to the green, but now I may not be able to control whether it's going to, you know, my dispersion left or right on it. So I think every course is different. I'm not saying every course needs to have long rough, 
but depending on how the course is is designed and and you know what other hazards and penalties they have a course can you know should have a rough link you know that is perfect for that and you know my my um example to the pj tour this year with tpc scottsdale was it was the windiest i've ever seen in my life at tpc scottsdale for four days i've never seen wind like that anywhere and i talked to the people in phoenix i've never seen wind like that for four straight days there and scotty scheffler won at 19 on the par and last year he won at 15 or 16 on the par in a playoff over patrick cantley so and there was no win two years ago and there was a ton of win this year and the only difference really would have been uh, the rough length a little bit in my opinion that sort of made that 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 scoring you know that much different in my opinion i may be wrong i may be right but that is what i what i you know have finalized <laughs> well i think this is not even countering anything you just said but my main counter to you know when you talk about higher rough what what it does is it the closer you get to the green um i'll butcher the way like to phrase this but like a wedge out of the rough for rory is way different than an eight iron out of the rough for you right and it exacerbates that difference of the driving advantage when it's narrow enough that everyone's gonna be missing fairways the best bet is bomb it as far as possible and figure it out from there which is a, a dumbed down game that i you know again it's reductive kind of way of phrasing Agreed. it but that's kind of where where my position in this is one, so. one of my favorite courses in the world is harvard town well i can tell you a couple i mean i love i love tpc memphis i, I mean and i'll say on the world favorite course on tour tpc memphis or tpc southwind harbor town colonial sedgefield and and it's funny because i'm not a big fan of 20 plus on the par winning but what sedgefield is so great about is that yes it's short yes it's got some great greens but you cannot shoot 20 in the par if you're not hitting fairways. If you hit the fairway, you're going to have a scorable club. You're going to have a wedge in or a short iron in. And so it gives you the opportunity. But the big thing is you have to be accurate off the tee to be able to have that opportunity to make those scores. And if you aren't, you're not going to compete there. And that's why I think it's such a great golf course. I have no problem with a 20 on the par winning. Like I said, it, it's a challenge is putting the ball in the fairway. And then, you know, then obviously it gets a little easier, but you still got to hit a great wedge shot or iron shot in there and make the putt. But, you know, like I said, I'm never a big fan of 20 in the par winning. I love 8 to 12 to 15 really being the winning score on a regular basis because I think that challenges all aspects of the game. It, it rewards the players that are playing great that week and everything else. But I think, like I said, every venue is different on the PGA Tour and even in majors at that. To me, there's, there's golf courses on the tour that um... – bogey is is very prevalent at and there's some that it's not right like sony it's just it's not very prevalent like when you get you can pin your ears back and go whereas scottsdale there's bogeys to be had out there yeah, there's there's exactly. a lot of bogeys to be had that is the most entertaining golf so i don't i don't care as much about the final score as i do like do you is there some mystery in what's about to happen whereas if you got a two-shot lead at at sony and the other guys in the house like i don't think you're going yeah. backwards i just don't. you're not too worried yeah exactly so anyways. exactly Billy, thanks so much for the time, man. This was an awesome conversation. Great My pleasure, to, uh, guys. Great to get some some tour insight into this, and the audience, I'm sure, will greatly appreciate it as well. So thanks for your time, and uh, enjoy your weekend. Appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. You too. Have a Cheers. good one. Thank you again to Billy. Spring is in the air, and it is time for you to start thinking about golf, especially walking the golf course. I cannot say enough great things about what it's like to walk a golf course on the regular instead of riding in a cart. If you like the classic style of the Walker Trolley Cape 1.5, you are going to love the Cape now that it comes with standard full run flat tires 
We are, of course, talking about the Walker Trolley push carts, the same great trolley with the look and feel that you love, but now with no worry of a flat on the course. The Walker Trolley Cape is the number one premium push cart on the market. It brings classic style with an ample use of modern technology. The Cape 1.5's polished aluminum frame and use of waxed canvas and leather creates a trolley that stands out all over the golf course. For a limited time, Walker Trolleys has its bundle starter package available for $3.99, which includes the Cape 1.5, a sand and water bottle, and umbrella holder. You go to walkertrolleys.com today, and if you want to walk the course in style and bring your game to a new level for 2023. A lot of people ask, what, what trolley I have when I'm out there, you know, I'll meet strangers like, what is this thing? It's a Walker Trolley. You know it's a Walker Trolley. Check them out, walkertrolleys.com. I might need to get one of them Walker Trolleys now that I'm fully on board here. You know, uh, I'm about to join a new country club. I want to pimp with, uh, I want to show it off, make sure that all the other members know, hey, I, I, I got to have one of those trolleys. <laughs> <laughs> we will get you, we, we're going to get you sorted. We're, we're getting you up to speed here. Any other reaction to it? Any, I, listen, we're going to talk some distance here. Probably going to rehash a couple of the points we made there with Billy Bo. It was important for us to bring someone on that maybe had a different perspective. We've heard your calls for that. We wanted to find a sensible person that can present that case. Uh, there's a lot of not sensible people out there saying a lot of things that, uh, that maybe are not agreeing to come on the podcast. I've tried, uh, but I thought Billy represented uh, a tour, the tour, you know, tour player's perspective very well there. I just wish that people would do the reading, all right? Like if you would listen to... <laughs> The points for why they've uh, decided that the ball is the thing to do other than, you know, they, they can't figure, like, the driver is not necessarily the they, they, – there's a ripple effect. We talked about that a little bit in, with Horschel. Like, what do you do about three-wood? What do you do about hybrids? All the way down, you know, I, I, I wish everyone would just at least feel educated before they came into the conversation. That's obviously never going to happen, but, like, I have tried very hard to read everything and read all the points. And there's sometimes when people on the other side make – points about stuff that I'm like, yeah, like, okay, I hadn't really considered that. And that's uh, going to be something that, you know, will need to be figured out. But for the most part, I feel pretty comfortable with where I am that I feel something should be done. And uh, because not necessarily like at this moment, but like 20 years from now, I would like there to be some people keep saying, what do you think? Like what course right now can host a major that would, would want to, but like, well, how about courses that, you know, used to host majors, you know, 40 years ago and now can't like, what happens if, you know, 25 years from now, like we're already sort of run into that with Marion, people who think that like that Marion is sort of a, you know, just because it's on the docket for 2030 to host US Open, that that means that it's, but they had to trick Marion up so badly to make it, you know, any resembling of what it was in the past. And there's just isn't room for, to build more like tee boxes backwards. I, I just, I don't find that argument to be particularly compelling. You know what? They used to play part of the Crosby Clambake at Cyprus. And even though the Cyprus people probably don't want to, have it be a part of that anymore. You couldn't do it there because of how short it is. And so I don't find that argument particularly moving. What, what is the best case? You, you said, you know, that uh, you hear some, some takes that you're like, yeah, you know what, that is a good point. What do you think the best case against not doing something is? I think, you know, that's such a like hard thing to say because I feel strongly that you should be rewarded for being able to hit it far. I do think that that is a skill. I, I think, you know, Rory has talked about this in the past. Like, he's five foot nine. Like, there's something to him that makes him be able to hit it as far as DJ or as far as some of these other guys. And so I don't think we're trying to take away, you know, hitting it far for, like, the longest hitters necessarily. I think the longest hitters are still going to be the longest hitters. I think that there's just value in preserving the sort of hitting five irons into greens occasionally or having to sort of 
take on chances instead of just everybody bangs the same shot that they do or every it's a wedge contest for a lot of different people so look do i think that it would be the best case scenario if the pga tour didn't adopt uh the thing i actually think that that would be sort of interesting in some ways uh, that's sort of you know we've here and we asked billy you know do you think that that they'll adopt this and i think he was like well you know i, I think a lot of guys are going to be against it i don't know necessarily what the vote would be or whatever, but I think a lot of guys would sort of vote no. And actually, I think in some ways that might be the best case scenario because it would sort of force them to kind of figure out like, all right, can I figure out how to play a different ball when I'm going to the Masters? And is that going to piss me off enough that I'm going to have, you know, is it really that difficult to figure out the, the different, how the ball goes six, seven yards farther this time? I don't really think it's going to be, especially now how easy it is to plug yourself into TrackMan and figure that stuff out. So that kind of, to me, like to see guys being really pissed off because they feel like the ball is fucking with them, actually that sounds awesome because they're going to throw tantrums and the guys who are going to not be able to handle it, they're going to eliminate themselves from the tournament. And that's like a mental test as well. So that's kind of what I'm rooting for in some ways. I've got so many thoughts, man. And it, it kind of, you can, you can distill it down really easily with like, Dude, it just doesn't have to go 330, all right? Yep. It, a far drive can be 310, and that's what we're talking about with this rollback is it, it, if a far drive goes from 330 to 310, it changes so many things. It does. It makes so many different things better. It does not. I said this to Billy. It's like, dude, I promise you when Cameron Young wails on a golf ball with the rollback ball, no one's going to look at that and be like, Pfft. That wasn't very impressive. Like that, that I could I could tell that ball only went three oh five. Like I promise you, that's not the case. And again, we're talking about rollbacks that are the difference in the launch conditions between TPC Scottsdale and Torrey Pines on a daily basis, right? So again, I get I've, some of the feedback I've seen this week is like, well, then why even do it? It's pointless. It's like, dude, okay, if you're asking that question, I would like you to please do the required required reading. All right, we can talk about footprints. We can talk about the balance of skills in the game. Like we can straight up talk about the statements made by the USGA and RNA. And I'm just going to read some of that stuff to you, right? And I have included in the show notes to this show, um, to this episode, if you go in your Apple podcast, wherever it is, just links to the USGA and RNA distance reports and all of their information that they have published in relation to all of this. So just background information. Again, so much work has gone into the statement of saying, the RNA and USGA believe that further significant increases in hitting distances at the highest level are undesirable, whether these increases in distance emanate from advancing equipment technology, greater athleticism, uh, improved player coaching, course conditioning, all of that. Whatever these contributing factors are, we can debate that, but we're they're just saying whatever it is, it should it can't continue to go this far, right? There's a ton of stuff in there, and I won't read all of it about what it means for footprints and what it means, like the size of new golf courses that are being put together compared to old golf courses. But, you know, the average course was used to be around 150 acres if it was built between 1900 and 1980. Now it averages 205 acres, like a 33% plus increase in acreage. Hey, how are land costs trending in the game of golf, right? And golf has just bast itself in its recent success and it just patted itself on the back and congratulated itself for how popular the game is right now go look at the trends of participation and golf course closures prior to covid golf has boomed during covid and it was suffocating during this distance boom and I, i'm going to read some quotes from bill fields who wrote a great piece he said uh, nowhere on the golf landscape is growing the game mantra more nonsensical than it was when it's thrown around in conversations about distance Golf's popularity as a recreational activity waned, not spiked in the years when equipment advances were most evident. 
Golf participation surged because a global pandemic gave people more time to play a fresh air sport and socialize safely with friends in the process. And in the process, not because golfers suddenly picked up yards from clubs and balls and delighted in a game they had previously ignored. Are younger golfers more enthralled with tech and does that draw them in? Yes, but that tech is not necessarily about longer shots. And the belief that fans of whatever age will turn away in droves from watching the professional game if the longest hitters lose a fraction of their distance, if they hit the length of three American football fields off the tee instead of three and a quarter such spaces, is more baseless than the argument about why everyday golfers pursue the game. And it's just like, it, it, again, you can find all kinds of information of how there was, you know, U.S. golf participa- participants in 2006 was 29.8 thousand, whatever that means, number 29.8 million participants. That dipped all the way to 23.8. It dipped every year leading up into 2016, 2017. It's seen a little bit of a bump and kind of leveled off around where it, where it uh, went down to 2014 at the 24 million mark. But it went, it was absolutely decreasing before COVID hit. And it's not like we can bask ourselves in like, hey, distance is why the game is booming so well right now. So I want to read you just a line from Rick Riley's famous gamer about Jack Nicholas winning 1986. Nicholas was four back of Seve. He came to the 15th hole and he was desperate to get something going. So he let loose, this is Riley writing, let loose a mammoth drive, 298 yards, so big that it surprised even him. Like think like back then, two hundred ninety eight yards was a huge drive, and golf was more popular than ever. So don't I don't think you can flip this around and be like, oh, how dare you attack golf at its most popular moment? It was way more popular then than it was back then, and guys weren't bombing it. Like three hundred yards was like, whoa, that's a huge drive. It it does like it it uh, yeah. I've said this in a million different ways now. Of just like it's not fun to be like you know it. it they've done a good job of like. The, the detractors of this have done a good job of like painting the rollback guys as old fuds and being anti-fun when it's like, actually, like I think what we're talking about is more fun. And, and there is a balance of skill to this. And again, in all of this reports, all of the distance reports from, um, from there, they talk about how golf is trending towards it and has trended for a long time. Like it, it basically since that this is not a recent thing in the last 20 years, this, this goes back to titanium drivers in the nineties rolling into the two thousands in the shot link era. It's not like it's greatly gone into shots that are way closer to the green, but over the last 30 years, it has turned way more into a, a wedge and short iron contest uh, than it has been a test of all skills. And that is something that Martin slumbers talked about in the press conference last week. And I totally, completely agree with that. And all they're talking about doing now is making it so nine iron shots are basically going to be seven iron shots, right? And when you talk about, and we've talked a lot about the homogenization of this product, golfers, when they're hitting nine irons, the top players in the world are not going to separate themselves out nearly as much as they will when they're hitting seven irons in. The proximity of these shots gets way different as you get to that 175 to 200 range, which is like what they're trying to create more of those shots. And when you get in that area, it's a different club that you're probably hitting with a rolled back ball. The game of golf changes to a better balance of skills is all that this is really about. It's not as drastic as people think. It's not going to roll it back to everybody laying up on par fives all over again. And it is changes so many things that I'm, I, the more I've thought about, the more convinced I am. The more people I talk to, the more stuff I read. I've read everyone's Twitter threads. I've read all the data. It has led me to a conclusion that's like, dude, this is a good start for addressing a problem that is only going to get worse as all the documentation shows. This is the way we get to uh, TC's prediction that uh, Morikawa wins eight majors too. Is like mm. if you give Colin Morikawa like 106 irons versus everyone else, like he's going to hit it a lot closer to the hole than they are. I mean, I, I just if I were a top player at this point, 
I know we're going to talk in a sec about Justin Thomas. I would sort of maybe see this as like a huge opportunity. I, if I could step sure. outside myself, but retain just a hint of selfishness to be like, yo, I'm way better with a seven iron than most guys are with a seven iron. I'm better than them with a wedge, but not so much better than them that I can see the difference show up like over and over again. But man, like that's what I think. You know, and the thing I said with Horschel, like I would love to see him, you know, because he's a pretty good long iron player competing against more guys with long irons. And, you know, I think I would be interested to hear what Rory's thoughts on all this are, because I think Rory's a great long iron player. God, this would be a huge opportunity for him to basically be like, yeah, like I think my skill is going to show up a lot better. Honestly, like if the ball hadn't advanced the way that it did, Tiger might have 22 majors or something mm. because nobody was better at hitting mid irons than he was throughout the course of his career compared to the, the relative, you know, the rest of the, the guys in his peers. And again, this is like, a, I'm not even going to get into the details of this because Mark Brody published a white paper that is even by my nerdy standards, it's extremely nerdy. It is a statistics <laughs> nerd. I'm not going to break down all of this, but Basically, it says like golf golf courses have, you know, increased by about 40 yards over the, you know, per decade, basically over the last two years. And, but scoring has declined at almost a little over half a shot um, in that time period, basically. And a lot of those gains, like improvements in driving, contributed to 43% of total score decline, which is, that may not sound like a lot, but the rest of the game, approach shots, short game, and putting, only making up 57% compared to the 43% is enormous. And talking about players averaging distance going up eight yards per decade, again, I don't know if that sounds like a lot. That is freaking enormous. That is such a big gap. The It has led to the top 40 players gaining, like, again, 4.5% per decade more and at an increasing rate of four and a half percent per decade more value off the tee that's the trend that it's going it's basically becoming more and more of a driving contest as time goes on so if nothing gets done golf is going to turn more and more into a driving contest and look i think one of the best cases against all this is in the why now is like why will we do this now and the answer that's a good question because the answer was it was time to do this 20 years ago like it, we've gotten too far into this that makes all of this unwinding really difficult but the answer is it's, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do nothing now. And now that there's new leadership at the USGA, there's new appetite. I know the USGA looked into this eight, nine years ago. I forget when the timeline was. Checked with the tour on this. Tour was pretty adamant, like, nope, not going to do it. And it died pretty quickly. And now we're, we're kind of paying the, you know, paying the debt on that and letting that, the interest run up on this for another few years to the point where it's like, dude, it's not sustainable. Like, period, point blank, not sustainable. It can't keep going this way. I don't know how, and we'll get to JT's comments here. I don't know JT can say it's a solution to a problem that doesn't exist when he's going to walk off the 12th green at Augusta and he's going to go stand in what used to be the ninth fairway at Augusta Country Club to hit his tee shot. Like it, they've moved a road for a new fifth tee at Augusta National. And I know there's a sentiment of people out there that are like, dude, let those courses figure it out. But the USGA and RNA are not just responsible for like golf at the highest level. They're responsible for like elite competitions around the world. Okay. So some of, uh, you know, Thomas Pagel's comments about Japan and Argentina and all the places they're hosting elite competitions. It's like, this is not a problem for 50 golf courses. It's a problem for so many golf courses. And, uh, I, 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 I really, do, I know I, I doubt people are listening to this part two, two, uh, two hours into this. I doubt they're like, Oh, I'm just now learning about this. It's the people that need to learn about it are probably not here listening to it, but Man, I think it's a lot of our duty to get this information out there. 
Well, it's funny to like see the Taylor Moore's quote about this. You know, he wins, and four days ago he was tweeting about like, "Oh, what are they going to do? Raise the rim to eleven feet?" Like, dude, like they've are that is the equivalent of like moving back Augusta's tee (laughs) on thirteen. That is literally what it is. So, like, of course that's happening in golf already. And that's what JT had a comment in this as well. And I'm going to pick on him. He made these, he's probably, you know, he made these comments very committed and very publicly. He said, I mean, what people are running faster. So what are they going to do? Make the length of the mile longer just so the fastest mile time doesn't change. Dude, they're making your golf courses way longer. Like they're, they're lengthening the holes. That's exactly what they're doing. And he said, or are they going to put the NBA hoop at 13 feet because people can jump higher now? It's like, dude, there are people in the NBA aren't jumping higher because of the shoes. Like that is not like, again, we're talking about changing the, if there was equipment gains that were leading to people jumping way higher in the NBA, they would probably regulate the shoes and they do regulate shoes in some way. So listen, we can, no one is trying to screen this from the rooftops. No one is trying to stop your track man gains, your athletic gains. No one's trying to stop distance being a skill and distance being rewarded. Some of the takes I hear about grow the rough or, you know, the farther you hit a shot, make the rough more penalizing down, farther down the fairway. That is actively combating people with the best driving skill. Instead, if we change the whole scale of how tee shots are hit, now we're talking about the, the skill is going to be rewarded. It's going to be slightly different, probably even more rewarded, but it's just about protecting footprints. It's about bringing the game a little bit closer together. It's a small little fix to a giant problem that if we're fighting this much about this part of it, I have very little hope for get, you know, the education process that's going to go with what probably has to happen after this. I just, it doesn't, the other comparisons to sports never, where they're saying like, oh, you know, they don't change other sports. Of course they do. Like they change yes. baseball, you know, the baseball. They regulate golf right now. They regulate yeah. it right now. It's changing that regulation. <laughs> I, I that, Again, just, I wish people would do the reading. Like then we could have an actual discussion about, you know, this. And, and again, like per DJ's point in his column this week, if you don't believe that the USGA and the RNA should govern the sport of golf, then we're never going to agree on any of this stuff. We're never going to be able to e- even reach some sort of compromise. And that seems to be what some people feel like, that, they're, that they don't feel like the USGA should have that role for professional golf in general. And look, if that's your point, like I guess you know you can ride with it, that you can argue why you feel that way. But I feel like they've done a decent job over the course of time with some mistakes here and there and, and with being asleep at the wheel and some things. But I kind of feel like you're there should, because golf is so fractured, they should have a role in this. And if PG Tour wants to have different rules for their events, great. But as I've said a couple times on Twitter, I think if that's the case, then the USGA should eliminate the exemptions that get into the US Open. If they're going to say, all right, well, like you, you're top 30 in the Tour Championship but you're playing a totally different ball, like you can qualify for that or you can get in, you know, in other sort of ways, but we're no longer going to sort of just wave you in if you're not going to sort of play by the rules that we see. And I think that'd be a fair compromise. If you want to keep playing the ball, then it's going to be tougher for you to get into majors. And if you're really good at it at golf, which you obviously are, you can play your way right through sectionals. You can get in through like all the other sort of, you know, guys do or live in the dream that make the U S open and the open championship special there's cause and effect to all these decisions, right? And I think the, one of the, the strong unifying anti-rollback takes is like, we want to play the same equipment the pros are playing, right? Which again, my, my combating that is you don't play the same tees, you don't play the same rules, not even close. Like unless you are the guy that is walking back to the tee when you lose your ball and are taking all of the proper reliefs and, and do it, you, people just don't play golf that way. 99% of golf is played extremely casually. And that's kind of the goal of this is like, dude, none of that's going to change. It's not. 
and I promise, like, I think it's going to be uncomfortable for people at the fringes of the competitive golf world. It's going to be uncomfortable for me. Like, I, like, it, I, but I am adamant about that something needs to be done. And at this point, we're choosing between a bunch of bad options. Like, there's going to be a price to pay no matter what. I really do not think that a very pure five iron for a 10 handicap to the center of the green is going to be diminished even 0.01% by the fact that the pros play a slightly different ball. Uh, it's not currently diminished when you're playing a different tee. Like if you crush a drive from a different tee, do you sit and say like, ah, but the pros would have played it from back there? No, you don't. Like 99% of golf is going to stay exactly the same. And if golf gets too easy for you from, you know, whatever, you can always move back a set of tees. And if it's, if it's too easy for you, then you'll be able to, you know, there's places you can go to go test your game that will be played with a slightly different golf ball. Like, should you play in those competitions, right? Uh, should you choose to want to play competitive golf? And for those in that bracket, like, I do feel for you that. I hear, we hear for you. Um, for those that aren't, I just don't have the same sympathy. I had mentioned that there's, like, too many amateur golfers, clubs, and courses have taken too many cues from the professionals. And any trends, like, away from that will be ultimately good for the game of golf. It's long been said that what's going on in golf is unsustainable. That just means you can't do what we're doing forever. The ball can't keep going farther. Something, so, you know, what happens when something's unsustainable, something has to change, and this is the beginning of that change. So I think to what people keep saying, you know, well, what if I want to play like the pros? You can. That opportunity will be there for you 100%. to play. And here's the, I will say the caveat is if, if a ball company decides, well, we're going to charge $65 for the pro ball or whatever, there's an opportunity in the market then for another ball company to be like, you know what, we'll make a similar ball, but we'll make it 30 bucks. Like that's basic capitalism. The idea of like, yeah, if, if that market exists for people who really want to test their game in the same way that the pros do, I don't think that people really want to do that. I think that they want to pretend that they're testing themselves in the same way that the pros do, but they're just too much ego involved to sort of be like, no, 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 wait, I, I can't play like truly the same ball that they do. Like, you know, they think that they hit it 300 yards, but mostly probably the people who hit it 300 yards hit it 275, 280. And like, it's just never quite the same. It doesn't stack up. They aren't playing the same tees, as you said. It, you're just, people are going to have to kind of like take an ego check in some ways to, to sort of be that same thing. And they don't want to do it. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think there's a lot of questions to be answered. How do handicap systems work? How does it, you know, is it going to be, I, I saw a couple of tweets that were like, what's going to, if I go say I shot 72, somebody's going to be like, Oh, was that with the cheating ball? It's like, well, it's the same way people are like, oh, was it back tees or was it, you know, the white tees? Like, where did you, where did you shoot that from? Like that, all this stuff already exists. It just doesn't really exist to this knowledge, like to people's knowledge around equipment. And it, it's uncomfortable, but man, it's, it's, it's complicated. And I, I wish it's way easier to sit on the other side of this and just be like, oh, you old fuds. You're, you're, I, I guess the problem, the, one of the main problems I had with JT's comments was saying that the USGA has done things that aren't for the better of the game, although they claim it, and it's it's selfish decisions. And I, what is I don't know what that like means. Out there trying to make this like, oh, I'm really gonna make a name for myself at the USGA by just sticking it to the pros. And this idea that like, you you know these, I think he said these so called like ten to fifteen handicappers deciding the rules for us. How how good was Roger Goodell at football, Sully? Yeah. Do you think he was a pretty good player? Do you think you know Rob Rob Manfred was like a great baseball player? Back in the day, like this idea that to govern the sport that you should have to have like been one of the greatest all time at it. I, I'm not sure. Like who would be a good then like USGA sort of person? Should Jack Nicholas be the head of the USGA? Jack Nicholas believes in the rollback. Yeah. <laughs> Jack's Tiger been talking Woods. about rollback for Tiger Woods. Those guys have been talking about rollback for 25 years. It's <laughs> so. also uh, the people making decisions probably need to be a little separated from 
like JT is too involved in this. The PGA Tour players are like the the stakeholders in this and probably shouldn't be like making the decisions, right? It's someone else's job to like do all of the research. Like based on his comments, it does not sound like he's done all the research. I'm not saying he hasn't, but he's not displaying a knowledge of what is at stake here, right? We've already gone over the bad analogies he's used. He talks about, you know, he said they want it to be okay. Well, the pros play this way and the amateurs play this way. And that just, I don't understand how that's better for the game of golf. The amount of time, money that these manufacturers have spent to create the best product possible. And now you're going to tell them we have to start over for potentially if the PGA Tour, PGA of America don't adopt this rule. So for two of the four biggest events of the year, we're going to have to use a different ball. Like explain to me how that's better for the game of golf. To that, I would say, I don't think it's better for the game of golf. That's why I think it should be adopted across all levels of professional golf because that's who we're, that's who needs reined in the most. That's who's causing these, uh, a trickle-down effect of all of these, foot, causing huge footprints already and a huge trickle-down effect of that. I saw some really misleading data stuff, really dishonest Twitter stuff out there of saying, like, you know, if you're looking at a subset of the data that says, like, oh, actually adding tees has decreased acreage, blah, blah, blah. It's all, like, super dishonest stuff to fit a narrative. But if you like, just read the report to say, this is how much the footprint of golf has increased and what this is exactly why it's unsustainable, it tells the story right there. Like, why adding these tees and why all, like, golf courses have trended the wrong direction. Okay, good luck trying to like, govern, govern golf courses and just tell them, hey, don't build the back tees. Like, no, that's not mm. how golf works. So... Um, I'm, I'm all over the place now, but I'm, I get worked up about this now. <laughs> Look, change is coming. It's coming one or another. Like it's, it's not gonna, the fight has been sort of laid down. And I just, I really do think like it's less about this current moment than it is about, we have to draw this line here so that 25 years from now, like, you know, we're not having a tee out on Washington road at Augusta for the first tee because there's just no other way to sort of, you know, handle the way that we want the course to play. I, I just don't believe it. Like there are courses really are that are straining. I mean, the reason why Aaron Hills got picked for a play at US Open there is because it could push it back to 8,000 yards. Talk, think about how much land that took to sort of figure that out. And the reason they're building Frisco the way it is down in, in Frisco, Texas for the PGA future, PGA of Americas, because it can be pushed back to 8,000 yards. What happens in 20 years if those courses are 9,000 yards? Like at some point, it's just sort of going to be a little bit silly. It's not going to be like, there's, there's no historic tether to things that have happened in the past. And that's kind of one of the biggest appeals of golf. I've not heard anyone make the, make the point that a bigger footprint of the courses is good for golf, right? I mean, you could, I, I you know, I, I, you could avoid answering a lot of the questions that it comes to this. I've not heard anyone try to make that point of like, no, it makes, it makes total sense. So I keep going back. Like, I don't understand what the problem is here. It's, oh gosh. Bryson had some comments. Uh, I think it's the most unimaginative, uninspiring game cutting thing you could do. Everybody wants to see people hit it farther. I think that's, that's part of the reason why a lot of people like what I do. It's part of the reason a lot of people don't like what I do. I don't really know what he means by any of that, but uh, it's Bryson's on the side of pro rollback. If you needed another reason to, or anti rollback, if you needed another reason to be on the other side. So he's, I mean, what he did at Bay Hill would have been just as sick from the tee that was right up front that didn't, that didn't have to used to play, have that back tee before distance got so big and he took that line and it was courageous regardless of what tee it would have been like nobody takes that line from the forward tees and no one's taking away that skill like that that is what is so freaking important to remember here it is that this this particular rollback keeps uh, everything that all these guys have worked for i feel like they people feel like what they've put in work they've put in towards gaining distance is going to get taken away 
I do not think that's the case at all. I really, really, really don't. I think just Justin Thomas is still going to drive it farther than Adam Schenk. Uh, bad example. Adam Schenk drives it really far. But he's going to hit it farther than Taylor Moore probably does. And Zach Blair. Like, you're still going to hit it farther than them. You're still going to reap the benefits of it. It just, uh, there's a lot of reasons why we got to dial this back a little bit. And so... That's all I got. I can't rain on this topic anymore. Um, I, we, we'll probably continue to cover it. We'll continue to bring on uh, different viewpoints as the weeks and months go along. And we can, uh, there's a still way too much to cover. Like there's a lot, a lot, a lot we could still break down here. So anything and else? Shout out to Billy up? for like coming. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Billy for coming in to open minded you know, talk with us. And obviously, yeah, it wasn't like, didn't feel like it was an attack. Just felt like here's my points that I want to make. And here's hope what I hope you guys will consider. And, hopefully listen to some of ours and definitely I think did sort of agree with some of the things that, uh, you know, you had to say and stuff. And so I, I appreciate that at least like if we can, we've been fighting with people about live for the last year. Like yeah, this is be nice if we could have like an actual discussion about, uh, you know, the distance stuff, uh, instead of just like screaming at each other and like, we're trying to screw over. I mean, the one thing I just can't stomach is like this idea that, you're trying to make the game harder for amateurs. Like, this is not there. People keep saying, well, the creep will eventually trickle down to the amateurs. Why do you think it'll stop there? Because there's no freaking point to, like, making my dad hit it shorter. Like, no one is going to sort of do that. No, there's His country club isn't going to do that. I'm not going to do that to him. My mom's not going to do that to him. His, you know, whatever Chapman or whatever, you know, sort of whatever silly thing that he plays in, no one's going to be like, whoa, man, you're hitting the ball too far. That's not happening. So stop using those scare tactics to sort of, you know, try to convince people to join your side. And I'll also say uh, to Billy, it's like, I'm, I'm in for that conversation on, on changing the center hits. And the, he brought yeah. up a more complicated topic that I think is the bigger problem, like a bigger issue as it relates to driving distance in golf. And I, like we discussed with him, one of the harder ones to fix. But let's revisit that conversation because that is yeah. the bigger part of the problem. And... Uh, that's going to really start to make some people uncomfortable when we get to well, that. Well, and that, you know, think about that Scotty Shelfer commercial where he's hitting it purposefully off the center of the face and it's still going 305 yards. Like, I, that to me is like, damn, like, I don't know that's something we should be like celebrating. That's going to get Obviously, scrubbed, you're celebrating it. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that, you're celebrating it for the amateur, but I don't, that doesn't make me think about like more about Scotty Shelfer's skill as a golfer. Yeah. Yeah. I, Totally different take. I think pros should not have 460 CC drivers. That's that's my going Ooh. away. That's my going no. away comment. Uh, that it should not be controversial. In my all. day, Solly, we didn't have. We had just a wooden brick tied on the end of a string, <laughs> and I had to pack it in my bag and drive it 50,000 miles all over the earth. I've traveled more more miles with my brick in my bag than any man in history. I don't even have to ask where Gary is on this scale. I don't think he wants oh a rollback. <laughs> Hell yeah! Just grow more trees. <laughs> no one talks about growing more lakes. Uh, always, there's a lot of pro tree people, but like you know, add more lakes. You know, that, to the fishes. An interesting part of Brody's <laughs> white paper was more hazards in landing zones uh, would, would deter driving distance. But again, I think that's course setup and driving distance and how far the ball goes are two totally different topics that people want to have be exchangeable, but they're just not. So, anyways. KBV, thanks for a wonderful chat on a Sunday night. We'll be back live for a recap of the match play coming up this week. Uh, we'll have a guest interview, of course, on Tuesday or Wednesday this week, probably Tuesday. And uh, what else we got cooking this week? Oh, we got some fun stuff. One thing we're going to keep secret that we're uh, recording, we're going to release uh, later this week. I, I guarantee people will be excited. But uh, have some writing this week, uh, as always. And if you 
have missed our writing from last week, make sure to check out the mailbag, uh, check out DJ's, uh, you know, column about, uh, governance and stuff. And, um, it's been, it's been fun to see the writing machine getting fired up at, uh, NLU. It's, it's really been enjoyable. So send me a, send me mailbag questions if you're a, a Nest member. And if you're not a member of the Nest, like join the Nest. Nolangup.com slash join. Learn all about it and you can help support the show. So thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll see you back here next week live. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. <laughs>